Welcome back to the Sweatin' Bullets Fantasy Football Podcast. I am your host, DFB Encounter. With me, as always, is Jacob Sanderson, who is still using a series of letters that make no sense to anyone other than a Colts fan as his Twitter handle. Nothing has changed since last week. And that is I think something's thing. changed. Not many things. Something's I think the big thing has changed is I'm I'm not actually sure that I'm a Colts fan anymore. <laughs> so like I probably need to change the handle. So we recorded the last episode. You may have listened to it after Thursday Night Football, but we recorded it before Thursday Night Football. And like my my Colts fandom has definitely waned since I started playing fantasy football. So like bef- like long before I played anything other than like co-drafting like a rotisserie buddies league with my dad. Uh, I mean, I was obsessed with the Colts in the Manning era, like when I was a kid, like when they lost in the playoffs, the Chargers, the one year and the other year and the other year, um, I was like on the floor, like crying, like absolutely like destroyed when uh, LaDamian Tomlinson beat us in overtime one year. And then, you know, then like Manning. I had no idea that the Chargers actually ever won a playoff game, and the fact they did it against the Colts is poetic justice. I would say they did it twice. They they beat us <laughs> twice in the playoffs, and like the only team the Chargers have ever beaten the playoffs is the Indianapolis Colts. This is this is hilarious. No, they beat other teams too. No, they haven't. I, yes, I, they have. I'm yeah, quite certain. Have. Okay. Um, so anyway, then like when Manning retires. Uh, or sorry, not retires when he, when he leaves the Colts and he goes to Denver, I was like, well, I don't know what to do. Like the entire time I'd grown up, like being a Colts fan and being a Peyton Manning fan were like synonymous, right? Like he was the reason I was a Colts fan. He was so awesome. And then he goes to Denver. And at first I kind of thought I'd be a Broncos fan until they played the Colts. And like, then like it was the whole like Pagano year and he had the cancer and then Arians came in. They had this awesome comeback in Green Bay. I fell in love with Andrew Locke. And then I was like, just as fired up as, as ever with the Locke era. And I've like definitely not been as passionate since because they've just been bad. And I haven't had like the same expectations I had during those eras, but I've still gotten pretty psyched for games. Like last year during the game, we beat the Patriots on like a Saturday night. I was like pumped and I was like full on like toxic fan zone. I was like, Wentz is good. Like we're going to win the Super Bowl. And then like watching the Thursday night game, first of all, I wasn't even sure if I was going to watch. And then the only reason I watched, hold on, you should have seen the Jaguars game last year. That was oh, special. I did. Yeah, I did see that. Maybe that's what destroyed my you're, fandom. You're forever. only talking about the highlights of your fandom and completely leaving out the fact that the basically winless Jaguars beat the Colts when they were trying to get into the playoffs. Yeah, it's been and nine consecutive was- years that we've lost in Jacksonville. Nine consecutive years. Uh, anyhow, and then this year, this game specifically, it just felt like pointless. Like, I wasn't even, like, sad. I was just like, why are the Colts, like, playing games? Like, what? Like, it just, they feel like a pointless franchise. Um, and just, like, irrelevant. And just, like, spinning their wheels into nothingness. Um, and then I, like, literally watched the game to get watch Naheem Hines because I have him in so many fantasy teams. And then, of course, I was like, great. My week start- ended after, like, three plays. So I have, like, 1.8 points in my running back slot. This is terrific. Little did I know that T. Higgins and Darren Waller, two also of my highest owned players, also would have zero points. So not a great week for me um, with the in-game injuries. And then I'm like, I guess I'll just keep watching because it seems funny. And then it was, like, a farce. Like, I couldn't look away. But I was just so unbelievably, like, unenthused by the fact that the Colts won that game. Um, and I was so aware of how awful the team is that I was like, man, I've like grown as a person. Like I'm watching a game that we won 
and I'm not like just, I'm not one of those Steelers fans, right? Who's like being like, look, man, we find a way to win. That's what we do. Like, I'm not one of those Bears fans, right? That's just, that's are, like, are you taking a shot at me and my Steeler fandom? I'm taking a shot at Steelers fans generally. Like, whether you're a part of that section of the fandom is up to you. But would I you not agree that Steelers fans are like some of the most irrational, ridiculous people? <laughs> I'm not. I'm not even a real fan. Like I shouldn't even say. I like. I feel like I need to renounce my Steelers fandom because I don't think I'm doing right now. We're renouncing fandom. I'm renouncing my Colts fandom. You can renounce your Steelers fandom. We can do this together right now. I I just feel like I was never actually a fan, though. Like I've I've Mm -hmm. always kind of maintained this. Like you need to have a favorite team because it's weird when people find out that you like football and they're like, "Oh, who's your team?" And you're like, "Actually, I don't really like teams. I I just kind of cheer for the individual players. Just want everybody to have fun." And score lots of fantasy points, except for the guys that I don't like. Then I would like them not to score lots of fantasy points, and that's that's just kind of like uh, my fandom in a nutshell. I can't remember a single time where I've ever cared if the Steelers won or lost. The only thing I care about is in the draft if they drafted good players. <laughs> right, and, this, and you must have been really upset the last couple of years. They took Jordan Pickens this year. It was great. Well, that they also took Najee Harris and Kenny Pickett, the last two first round picks. Yeah, I mean it's been terrible. Before that, but uh, no, like, yeah, yeah it's Monty Harris, a first round pick, is currently so, losing routes to Jalen Warren, an undrafted free agent who's like clearly better than Najee Harris. So let, let's talk about Najee Harris because I feel like, uh, yeah, let's leave with Najee. Let, you know what? Okay, uh, let's let's flip the sheet a little bit. We're flipping the show sheet, Matt. The session is going to go short, I promise. We're not going to record for an hour and a half to three hours like we have lately. Yeah, it's going to be quick. But I'm going to flip the show sheet a little bit because now we're on to Najee Harris and I want to talk about Najee Harris and my Steelers fandom and how I just don't care about the Steelers at all. But more importantly, Najee Harris is someone that I pretty much nailed, if I'm going to be honest. And yet people really tried to dunk on me last year for nailing it because I was like, yeah, he's going to be like a back-end RB1. And then he scored like, I don't know, 17, 18 points a game, which is like back-end. 16 points a game, which is like back-end RB1. And the people are like, ha, dunked on. And I was like, no, that, that's what I said was going to happen. Right. And then I was like, watch yeah. out. He, he played to volume. his ADP. He, he like met expectations. Najee Harris's teacher last year would have put on his report card ME, meeting expectations. <laughs> and not he did not go over and above at all. He showed right. no exemplary qualities other than he did catch like 17 passes or something in a game when literally their entire receiving core got hurt. That was pretty and, cool. Outside of that, he didn't do anything at all the whole year. Yeah. And it was depressing so, for all who drafted. 17.7 fantasy points per game, which is good. He was the RB8, and he was drafted at like basically the RB8. So Yeah. So, like I said, he would be a back-end RB1, and he probably would have been a lot lower if everyone on the team didn't get hurt that one game, and he got 17 freaking catches. Because that's a lot of fantasy points in a singular game. But let's talk about Najee Harris now, right? Okay. So that's the past. What's past is prologue, as they say. And what's present is that they added no notable competition for Najee Harris. They only added this year Jalen Warren and Mateo Durant, undrafted free agents. Those are the only people that they signed. Uh, Actually, Jeremy McNichols, but he's on injured reserve. And then Jalen Warren, undrafted free agent from Oklahoma State, uh, has all of a sudden become like a pretty relevant part of the offense to the extent that Najee Harris is no longer seeing over 50% of the routes. And it's very hard to have 17 receptions in a game if you don't even see half your team's routes. That's quite difficult. Uh, 
And then he's also seen now over the last two weeks, 74% of their third downs, right? And so I've seen a lot of people say that the snap counts are noise. I agree to an extent, like all the fourth quarter snaps in which the Steelers mostly had the ball. I'm not blaming Najee for that. Like Najee's not going to play 50% of the snaps for those games, but if he's losing the third downs and he's losing routes and Jalen Warren's playing a real role and Mike Tomlin came out and said, yeah, he's going to play more, <laughs> right? Then what are we doing with Najee Harris? Because in my view, Harris really didn't have any special qualities. He was not a particularly efficient runner uh, in his first year. He's actually a particularly inefficient runner in his first year. Uh, he never profiled out of college as an explosive player or even as a special receiving talent. He profiled as a guy who was very capable in all of the base competencies of the game, which is good. He's an expectation meter, but that leaves him susceptible to any running back who a coach deems has a comparative advantage over him, or if they just don't want to use a running back on 100% of the snaps. Because when you're not a special player, you need that massive, 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 massive volume to make you an elite asset. And he was treated like an elite asset. He was a consensus top five running back in Dynasty. He was going round one, two, turn in redraft this year. Looks like a bad pick. And at this point in time, there's almost no discernible difference in Dynasty between him and, say, Josh Jacobs, who's a similar age, seeing a much better role. Just how far has things fallen for Najee Harris? Because I put out a my projection of the top 10 Dynasty running backs come May of next year. And there's a few guys I want to talk about. But one notable mention is that Najee Harris, consensus top five Dynasty running back during this season, was not there. And do you think he will be in the top 10 conversation next year? No, I don't think he's going to be in the top 10. I think, uh, I think, it, like, here's the thing. Najee Harris, is, he has, I feel like he has something that was very serious that I thought was going to keep him out of games. And then he just kept playing. Was it a... Now, Liz Frank. Liz Frank. Yeah. Yeah. He's playing with a Liz Frank and he sucks. He sucked to begin with. And now he's playing with a Liz Frank. So he's even worse. We have another degree of suck happening because of this Liz Frank injury. Now, Am I going to victory lap this? Absolutely, because we should always victory lap everything. Of course. And, and uh, Najee Harris is not very good, and, and he's been exposed. I, had, I actually was just looking for this thread, uh, and I found a tweet, speaking of the Steelers' first-round frauds, and I literally tweeted, oh, man, the Steelers' first-round frauds, last two years, Kenny Pickett, Najee Harris, hilarious, can't get worse than this, and uh, here we are. Anyway, Najee Harris is like his price is cratering right now in Dynasty as it yeah. should because he was way too high to begin with. He's already down fourteen hundred points. Fourteen. How low? How low would too low be? I'd buy him for a late first. I'd buy him for an early second. Late twenty twenty three first. Probably, yeah. Interesting. Okay, so so that so your late twenty twenty three first in this class, it might it might even be possible for there to be bulletproof running backs. Or at least high-end coin flip running backs in the late. So here's the thing: uh, it's almost definitely not going to happen, even though it could happen. And the reason for that is that it never happens. <laughs> uh, we've seen many, many years, even in like 2020. How many in 2020 did we have? Four bulletproof running backs in 2020, or five? Yeah. Did we have five? Because no, Taylor, yeah. Taylor was bulletproof, right? Swift, yeah. Akers. Yeah. Oh, right. But and then Ch went ahead of all of them, but he wasn't bulletproof. Exactly, and they all went. But, but like, Ch pushed bulletproof running backs down yeah it was great 
You couldn't have written a better script for the bulletproof fantasy football methodology than the 2020 draft, where you could just trade back from Clyde with his hilarity into DeAndre Swift or Cam Akers and a late first and pick up T. Higgins. Like it was beautiful. Sometimes you even got Justin Jefferson in the late first. Like it yeah. doesn't get better than that. Anyways, uh, Najee, like in that, in, that, in that class, we still had all five of those running backs going in like the top seven picks. Like if there's a good running back prospect, they're not going to fall to late first. Very unlikely. We're just going to get good wide receivers pushed down. But yeah. as we know, wide receivers are really hard to find a true difference maker. So in this case, Najee Harris is, yeah, he's not that good. He's probably Josh Jacobs at worst though. Like Josh Jacobs before this year. Uh, right. That's the comp that I've been using. And I guess here's why. So I put out the tweet. I said, Najee Harris is not a buy low. He's a sell low. And I look cards on the table. People should know this about me. I have strong opinions about players for sure. Certain players. Um, but like, I am the last guy to like not reverse course on a player. If I think there's new information or if I think that the price has fallen to a point where I would have bought like CD lamb is a great example of like a guy where the last couple of years I've been fading at cost. And then he was falling early in the season. And like, I was shouting from the mountain pops. I was like, I don't think CD lamb should be falling that much. Like I'm, I'm happy to buy CD lamb. Najee. I feel the opposite about it. I said, he's not a buy low. This is a sell low. And I, and I think the reason is, you know, I talked about everything about the projectable volume, right? I think people were putting way too much weight on like a micro view of like this guy played X percentage of snaps last year and not like a macro view in terms of this is the type of player that he is. This is the type of role that these players get. And you mentioned Josh Jacobs. I think it's a great comp, although I do think Jacobs is actually a better player. Um, but yeah, uh, I, agree. I do think it's a really good comp in terms of like market analysis, which is where Jacobs has his rookie year. And it was like a good rookie year, but it wasn't otherworldly. You know, it wasn't like, a, oh my God, this guy's transcendent type rookie year. It wasn't like Jonathan Taylor's rookie year, um, for instance. And then he gets pushed way up, right? He gets pushed way up. He goes at the one-two turn in redraft. He's like off on the fringes of the top five in Dynasty. Um, and then sure enough, you know, he has like a, a pretty normal season the next year. He was fine. He was like a borderline RB1 in his year two. But he falls in value because people are like, oh, like I thought I was buying this like special young player. But actually, what I was just buying this longevity at a marginally above replacement level uh, asset. And then sure enough, in year three, he is the same again. <laughs> like he's he's been the same guy every year. It's not like he's gotten worse um, or better, but just been the same. And then his price like craters, right? Like he was going like, you know, really late in drafts. Sometimes like round seven, round eight. I mean, he was occasionally falling like round eight in some late basketball drafts. Uh, and at that point, it's like, okay, he probably should have been a buy. And honestly, I should have been buying him more. But I think that's in Najee's future. I think that there is a time in which people will be like mad at Najee Harris for punishing him rather than seeing the sunk cost as something to, to, to bounce back up to. There will be a time when people over-focus on the most recent usage when that usage is then bad. Um, and people forget that there's value in a highly drafted running back with base competency in every part of the game. And that sometimes when the chips fall properly to a running back like that, you get 2022 Josh Jacobs or 2021 Leonard Fournette. Um, and it would not surprise me at all if Najee Harris has another mid-range RB1 season at some point in his career. But if I were to bet, I think the price falls lower before I get to a part where I'm like, you know, it's actually kind of a nice buy right now, Najee Harris. But I think that that's coming one day. I just think for now, I'm still selling. I would sell for like any 2023 first. 
Yeah, so I feel like you are implying that I'm buying, and I said I'd buy him for a late first, early second. Right, so if I had Najee Harris, and you have a 5-0 and team, and you say, would you like my 2023 first for Najee Harris? I say yes, and then you send it over to me. So you're buying, and I'm selling. <laughs> he is nowhere near that price right now. <laughs> He's still <laughs> over a 1,000 KTC points away from an yeah. early second, and he is still... What is he from a late first? Uh, still 400 points away from a late first. So we got a ways so, to go here. He's got a ways to go before I'm buying. Uh, I would yeah. buy him kind of in that fringy, like first, second range. Uh, but yeah, I'm not like selling him or I'm not buying him today. That's for sure. I just think there's a reasonable expectation that his production would have been muted this season because of the list, Frank. And he, I think he had another injury as well. That uh, He will hit two in- list Franks. We had two list franks. He had a list frank like in the summer. Foot or like the same foot. No, twice. the same foot. He had one in the summer, and then he re-aggravated it in like late August. Oh, okay. So like list franks, if I recall, I believe there. I should have looked this up beforehand. Really I'm bad. Quite confident it is like a a very long term injury. Like it takes a long time yeah. to recover from. And to be clear, it's obviously a minor one. Like that's like the same like umbrella of injury that like Travis Etienne had and obviously he played zero games last year so whatever Harris has is clearly not as bad as that but it's still affecting his midfoot area and we've seen players like Des Bryant played on a midfoot sprain one year and he was just like bad the whole year um that's what I'm saying with Najee Harris like I think I think he sucks this year I think he normally sucks but I think he's extra suck and I think at some point yeah we're gonna get to a point where it's like hey it's time to go buy Najee Harris. I looked at this thread that I had posted about how bad running backs. Especially bad for running backs, by the way. Like you can't plant, right? Like you can't <laughs> cut and plant because your foot is in excruciating pain. So you're just kind of like tentatively. You know, now that you say that, it's probably not as bad for Najee Harris because he couldn't cut in the first place. So it's basically just like he's still playing normally, I guess. But uh, no, but like seriously, he's 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 definitely hobbled, and yeah. his his price is still going down. Like don't don't think this is the bottom. We're we are still on the way down. So he's a sell low today. He's going right. to be a buy low at some point in the near future. I agree Probably with you. by the end of the season, he's a buy low. Well, okay, we're already up to minute 18 here. And I want to talk about some other running backs because here we're – so here, here's my list, right, that I had these top 10. And I think most of these – we can quibble with the order. But I think most of these are uncontroversial in terms of their inclusion okay so right. number one this is for what i think is going to happen next may right or actually this is not my guess of the market this is my guess of my own dynasty rankings next may mm-hmm. so it's slightly different but um shouldn't be that different at least i don't well I, I'm, I don't usually try to rank like massively differently from the market some people do but it's not really my thing you should so. just try to rank the players that you think are the best in the order that you think is the best Seems independent of the market anyway uh so my rb1 projected was b john robinson uh my rb2 projected was Brees hall he's already rb1 so that makes sense my rb3 projected was jonathan taylor uh my rb4 projected was jameer gibbs uh my rb5 that's spicy that's real spicy I think that is spicy. Yes, but not like uh, that. You were like, I, I rank at ADP or thereabouts. You were going off the map with Jamari. Well, Gibbs my take high. like Bijan to Taylor is Gibbs to Swift. Like it's a similar archetype of running back, but the younger version with three years less uh, tread on the tire and like more 
three rental years before you can sell. So I have Gibbs at four, I have Swift at five, I have Barkley at six, and I have McCaffrey at seven. I think we can agree, like we can quibble over the order. I think we would all agree that those seven should be in the ten, right? Yeah, so, I, I yeah, I think that's probably fair. Gibbs like Gibbs at four is is real wild. No, of, of course. Like to be clear, I this is not like a Devi rank, right? So like I'm not saying I would if I was in a Devi league, I would not trade Swift for Gibbs today. What I'm what, saying sorry, is, when is this taking place? When are these rankings immediately up? after the draft next year? So, so like once draft capital is decided. May. May 2023. I said, I said May 1st, 2023. Yeah. Okay, good. Fair. So to be clear, like if Gibbs, like I wouldn't do that now because like maybe Gibbs, I don't know, breaks his legs more or gets drafted round four. Do, like Marshall Do you want to know how infrequently a rookie running back is ranked in like the top five? Well, I, I, I'm, I'm projecting my rankings. It's, it's basically like... Right, but I rank rookie running backs aggressively and it's successful. I had Brees Hall ranked as the RB2 in Dynasty the day he was drafted. The day he was drafted? Yes. Holy moly. You're a wild man. And I had Jonathan Taylor as the RB1 in Dynasty the day Marlon Mack tore his Achilles. Hoof. Hoof. Got lucky, eh? <laughs> uh, no, I want to be ahead of the market on stud Ricky running backs. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah. What, it, it works out so poorly. I was also pretty head of the market on you know Chase, London, other good rookies. Anyway, no, we should all, we should, look, honestly we should always be ahead of the market on on rookies. I just uh, uh, yeah, like a player not even a second round pick not playing a game yet and being a top five. I mean, I, it's all relevant or all relative to the other running backs in the league at that time, I guess. And and right now we are kind of floundering for high end running backs because the good ones are all old and the young sure ones are. all suck. So yeah. it's not like that ludicrous is just like it never happens is all i'm saying no it's a fair point um anyway eight nine ten is where i tripped up so i put zach evans at running back eight but that was like almost like a placeholder where basically what i meant by that was the third good rookie running back that gets drafted in round two like and maybe that's zach evans and maybe that's sean tucker or, or maybe if his profile looks a little better it's tank bigsby or whoever else but that's sort of like a placeholder selection almost and then the other two, I put Ken Walker, and then I put J.K. Dobbins. And I probably was, well, obviously, he was the one I put last of the 10, was the most unsure about the 10th spot being J.K. Dobbins. So let's talk about, we don't need to talk about Evans or Tucker or anything like that. We're not a Debbie show. But let's well, talk about Walker. Let's talk about Walker first. Um, wh where are you at on Ken Walker? Because, of course, Rashad Penny, our old friend, uh, really, really quite sadly, he breaks his fibula. So he's done for the year. And that means it is Kenny Bullets season from here on out in Seattle. What are you expecting to see out of Walker rest of season? What are you hoping to see out of Walker rest of season? And do you think he should be on this list of 10? Yeah, I think he should be on the list of 10. I, uh, I actually pulled this up in preparation of the show because I wanted to really talk in depth about how good Kenneth Walker is. Considering that you think he was a terrible prospect, may I add? That's exactly and, what I said. Yeah. Uh, and he's actually he's he's actually quite a good prospect. Like he is one of the best running running backs to enter the draft in several several years. Uh, he actually rates in the 90th percentile for yards created per attempt per Graham Barthield's yards created metric, which is one of my favorite metrics in all. Barthield loves him. He had him RB one overall above Hall. Yeah, that, that was a little bit foolish because he doesn't catch any passes. 
and shame on you, Graham. You should know better. But he is the best running back of the running backs, and he's a better rusher than he than Brees Hall by a fair margin, I would say. Uh, but Brees Hall catches a lot of passes and is a can, can we tangent for a moment. Brees Hall, I don't I don't feel like people understand this well enough. Jonathan Taylor when it came out 2020, people were like, he's generational. Look at his athleticism. Nobody said that about Brees Hall. Brees Hall is more athletic than Jonathan Taylor on a size speed spectrum using relative athletic score. The if you sort by relative athletic score by all players drafted, so this is including day three picks, it is wild. We have I think his film his film in college wasn't as dynamic as Taylor's. I don't care. Uh, it doesn't matter. They got the same film grade for the last year line. The film to me is is whatever. He knows better than I do. Did the exact same score, basically. But here's here's where it gets really interesting because people are falling all over themselves about Jonathan Taylor's athleticism. The most athletic running back to ever be drafted in the top 10 or in the in the draft in any round is a guy named Justin Fargas in 2003. Yeah. In my database, back to 2003. He was a perfect 10. He was like Jelani Walker, but at running back. Jelani Woods. was terrible. Hey, Jelani Woods. Or Jelani Woods, sorry. <laughs> Got Kenneth Walker on the brain. Jelani Woods was a perfect 10. Justin Fargo's a perfect 10. Yeah. They're the equivalents. At You've the derailed league. this segment, by the way. This is the Kenneth Walker segment. You've yeah, I know we're getting Walker. there. And then we have Saquon Barkley, who was generational, except I don't have a generational score. But if I did, it would have been Saquon Barkley. And then next is Brees Hall. He was the third most athletic running back in the world ever drafted since 2003. And, it, and nobody even cares. New turf era. New turf era. passes New nearly turf. at the same level as like a DeAndre Swift or a Saquon Barkley, a Christian McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara. The guy had such an incredible profile. Anyways, Kenneth Walker, from a yards created perspective, is in the 90th percentile. Brees Hall is in like the 40th percentile. Like he's a totally mediocre rusher. Very similar to Damian Pierce, in fact. And Najee Harris, for that matter. <laughs> They're all right there together. But uh, yeah. Anyways, Kenneth Walker, I think, has like best rusher in football in his range of outcomes. Uh, similar to like a Nick Chubb or a Jonathan Taylor. Like, I think he has that or Rashad kind of, Penny. Or Rashad Penny. <laughs> I think he has that kind of like potential as a rusher. I don't know that he'll hit it, but it's in the range of outcomes. Yeah. And if he does that as a rookie, which he's already off to a really strong start, if he does that as a rookie. We're talking about a first round single QB startup pick next year. Like he's going to be a top 12 positional player fantasy pick in uh, Dynasty Leagues. And that's really kind of my thesis around why we were drafting Kenneth Walker at uh, 103 in rookie drafts was because we may or may not get the production, but we don't really care as long as he gets the huge value gain which it's really hard for a wide receiver to get that kind of value gain. They need to be Jamar Chase to get that, and that's just really unusual. So Kenneth Walker provided the highest degree of value difference-making potential as a rookie. That's where we're drafting him. Now we're sitting here. Rashad Penny's out. Kenneth Walker is the guy. He's getting targets at a rate that we never really expected. Well, he's getting um, tap passes. Yeah, whatever. He's getting targeted. I didn't. I thought they weren't even going to throw to him like they did Rashad Penny. Yeah, but those aren't scalable. Like he's like literally like half his targets. He's not running any routes. Well, he, at least he wasn't because Penny was running routes and their other guys were. And he was coming around getting like jet motion shit where they're like tap passing him the ball and it's basically a run, but it counts as a reception. That happened like three times. Which is like sounds great. Sounds great. He's getting passes and he's catching them. Why, like, why are you making this complicated? The guy, the, he's got it's the, the Ricole Hardman route tree. 
<laughs> Love it. He's got a 5.6% target share already. No, like that's not good, but it's like, we don't know what it's going to be. It's probably going to be right. bad. I shouldn't say that. We have a strong right. suspicion he's not going to catch passes in the NFL. We have a strong suspicion that the masses aren't going to care if he doesn't catch passes as a rookie. And therefore, as long as he is efficient on the ground, we're going to have a very large scale value increase, which is really exciting because then we can go buy whatever the hell we want with him. So that's kind of where I'm at with Rashad or with uh, Kenneth Walker. Rashad Penny should be bought right now. I will yeah, I, I'm with you. That was a big take that I had in my week five thoughts, which was maybe a surprise that we share that take after what we said about Penny. But I was like, Rashad Penny, you could probably get it like round three pick level value. And he's like really, really good at one aspect of the football game that we play. And so anytime you can get someone who's like certifiably great at anything for a round three pick, you should just go get that player because you, you often find players that are shit at everything um, in round three. So yeah, I'm definitely buying Penny and stashing him. He's probably a guy that he's going to end up somewhere. He might, he might end up in Seattle again next year, frankly. It seems entirely possible where he signs like a one-year contract somewhere else, maybe to pair with like a round two rookie. Probably a guy going to draft a lot of a best ball in like round 15 next year. But um, Kenneth Walker, I, I agree with you in part. Like Ken Walker for sure is a guy now, you know, with a penny injury, right? I mean, that's a pretty big break for him that he gets his competition for touches just, like, evacuated for the entirety of the year. Uh, huge break. And I agree, he's probably a really good rusher. My hesitancy with Walker compared to you is that I think the certainty with which he's been awarded this elite rusher category is really just built off one year. And I think when we look at comparatively to guys like Nick Chubb and Derrick Henry, they built up this pedigree over time. And Walker was a sparsely used rusher at Wake Forest for two years who created less yards um, over expectation than a guy named Christian Smith, And then he transferred to Michigan State and he turned into Walter Payton. So props. It was incredible. And then we also have the pass catching issue. So to me, I look at the pass catching issue is like that's to me a risk to ceiling in fantasy, if that's non-existent. And then you have the rushing ability, which is supposed to carry him, but it's really his only calling card because we don't think he has the pass catching. And what if it's not actually that elite? Like, what if he's just good as a rusher because it's all built off this one year? Then, you know, what is his his role? What is his path? At this point, that matters a lot less because, you know, for most of the summer, it was like he probably has to beat out Rashad Penny. Um, he no longer has to beat out Rashad Penny, of course. Uh, he now gets all the carries. Whatever he is, the rusher. Okay, good, elite, whatever. It's a hell of a lot better than Travis Homer and DJ Dallas. So expect him to get every conceivable carry. That's for sure. And I think, by the way, like I'm just saying, I was saying I really think that he is an elite rusher. I'm just not positive about it. That's basically what I was saying. But I don't think that he's bad at rushing. I think he's really good at rushing. And the receiving is like the opposite. I think he probably won't catch passes because most players who aren't utilized as pass catchers in college don't get utilized that way in the NFL. But I don't know for sure. So, uh, you know, you, you get the upside of the unknown with Walker. So I personally expect to be like a high-end RB2. The other big thing with Walker is I thought the Seahawks were going to be like the worst team in football this year. And apparently Geno Smith is God. So that's a pretty big advantage if you are going to be a rush only running back if you're playing on like an eight win team instead of playing on like a four win team so that's that's definitely a big up for walker uh i would still rather have uh hall of course i'd still rather have london 
Uh, I still rather have Wilson, and I would probably still rather have Alave. Although I didn't at the time, I preferred Walker to Alave. Now I prefer Alave to Walker. At the time, I preferred Burks to Walker. Burks, of course, is his own injury now. He's out for a month um, through no fault of his own. I, I would definitely prefer Walker to Burks at this moment in time. But uh, that's where I'm yeah, at. So, like, you're, you're, let's just quickly talk about his his um, like uh, college receiving ability because I, I think. Yeah, he's probably not going to catch passes, but he's a rookie, so this is the widest range of outcome that we'll ever see right. from him. He could catch passes. He probably won't. In fact, if you look at all of the bulletproof running backs, we have in dead last among all of them, Kenneth Walker at 5.4% target share. Just above him is Ryan Matthews with 5.9, Nick Chubb with 6.5, Adrian Peterson with 6.7, and those are the only other guys under 7. And none of them caught a lot of passes in the NFL. And none of them caught a lot of passes in the NFL. Right. So it's pretty reasonable to suspect that he will not catch a lot of passes. Kenneth Walker yeah. is not a buy-in hold, in my opinion. He's a buy-in flip after he impresses people this year because I think he's probably a good rusher. Yeah, I agree with that um, on all accounts. And the other thing I would note quick, I mean, the patrons have already heard this rant of mine, but I will make it for anyone who doesn't read my articles and doesn't isn't in the Patreon, but still is this podcast. The p- names that people bring up when I say that it's unlikely Kenneth Walker will catch passes – I think are missing the boat a little bit. People often reference Jonathan Taylor. They reference Melvin Gordon. They'll reference Leonard Fournette on occasion, AJ Dillon on occasion. These are all players that played in offenses that don't pass. So their raw pass catching totals look horrible, but their percentage of receptions or percentage of receiving yards, depending on which one you prefer to look at are in a range, but they're all either like acceptable to average to good. Walker is not in that category. Michigan State Spartans did pass. They did not pass to him. Now, the only the other narrative I saw was they don't throw to running backs. You know, and to me, I guess one response I have is that it, I think it's weird to like excuse the starting running back from the team not throwing to running backs. Like that just seems like really strange to me logically that it'd be like who the starting running back is has no impact on whether or not they throw to running backs. But he also didn't have a majority of the receptions among uh, the running backs at Michigan State, despite him playing the vast majority of the snaps and getting the vast majority of the carries. So I, I'll just say, I think it's unlikely that he catches a bunch of passes. That being said, there are levels to this, right? Like there can be non-pass catching running backs as in Rashad Penny non-pass catching running backs where it's like if he plays 16 games, he's lucky to catch 10 passes, right? And then there's not, or like a Jordan Howard, right? And then there's non-pass catching running backs in the sense of like, I don't, know, I don't think Joe Mixon is a pass catching running back, but like in the course of playing lead running back on his team, he like catches enough passes. So nobody's like, Oh my God, Joe Mixon. He's like, catch so many passes, but like he's, he's going to, he has, I don't know what his career total is in receptions. It's probably like 50, maybe it's 45. I don't know, but he gets like enough receptions that it's a thing. Right. And I think that it's possible that that could be Kenneth Walker, not likely, but it's possible. Yeah, there's like the guys that just you know exist on the field a lot, and then the the like nobody's open. The quarterback's like, oh, I guess I'll just throw to this guy, who is like six feet away from me. That can be Kenneth Walker, I think. Yeah. Um, but he's like he's got to get on the field and play all the snaps is the big the big part of it. Yeah, which is hard to say he will. Like even even Derrick Henry, who plays like pretty much exclusively, doesn't catch a lot of passes until like the last year. 
Right. Uh, I think last year he started catching some passes. The year before that, he had like almost nothing. But like just just for an example, we have 20 running backs with 7% college target share or lower, and two of them have ever put up a top five season, Adrian Peterson and Derrick Henry. Like in order for Kenneth Walker to truly give us uh, difference-making season. Adrian Peterson played an era where they just ran the ball way more than they do now. Yeah. Like, I don't think that that's repeatable. And was the best rusher. <laughs> like, right. one of the best rushers ever. Like, Kenneth Walker needs to be absolutely, positively special in order to give you difference-making production without catching passes. Right. Nick I mean, Chubb, Chubb do that, and he's amazing. Until this year, of course, but he won't finish that. Like, yeah, Nick Chubb, right? He has been, like, maybe this is the year. I don't know, but I think he's – I still think he's just running hot. Uh, but, yeah, Nick Chubb has been, in my opinion – quite clearly the best running back in the NFL or the best rusher, whatever. He's been the best at run. He has been the best human being at running the football on the planet of earth for almost the entire time that he's been in the NFL. I think that you could have made arguments at times for Henry arguments at times for Jonathan Taylor, but over the bulk of his career, it's Nick Chubb. And then maybe a couple of other guys in the same stratosphere. And he has zero top five seasons. Maybe he gets his first this year. So the, the the bar is really, really high. And, and like I said, he's a rookie. So if he's going to prove us wrong, it's possible. I'm really excited to find out at the at the very least. Let's talk about at least one other guy. Because the most commonly mentioned name by a mile. I was expecting Lajieres. I was expecting Josh Jacobs on this big performance. Maybe some people would be like, why not Eckler? Why not Cook? Why do you hate old people? Um, no, none of those. The most common name by a mile was Damian Pierce. Why isn't Damian Pierce in your top 10? And Damian Pierce, to his credit, has been phenomenal uh, over the past uh, stretch, both in fantasy and in reality. And I want to know, Drew, have you admitted defeat are you selling your first round picks for Damian Pierce? Is he a top 10 dynasty running back? No, absolutely not. Uh, I, I, like, I will admit defeat. And I actually just asked a question, answered a question on Twitter about this, like while I was waiting for you to uh, send me the link. So Damian Pierce is, if, if you think back to 2020, I believe it was when, when uh, James Robinson came in the NFL and was like absolutely dominant. Like I think he had a RB4 season or something like that, or RB6. That range. Yeah, he's in the mid mid range of RB one for sure. He was fantastic. He was worth a mid uh, first round pick, kind of at his peak. He had seventeen point nine points per game. He was RB five in his rookie year. I was out on the streets shouting to sell James Robinson, who was probably substantially more productive than what we're about to see from Damian Pierce. I'm going to be doing the same thing. I don't want you to go and sell Damian Pierce right now unless you're in it like a productive struggle or or you're rebuilding or what have you. If you're in that kind of situation, go and sell Damian Pierce because if he gets hurt, you're going to see a fair size dip in his value. So just sell him today. You're probably not going to see much more. Like nobody's going to give you an early 2023 first for Damian Pierce. I'm sorry. There's not going to. Take your mid first and just move on. It's okay. And then if you are in a competitive team, if you have a competitive team right now and you're competing for the championship, just hang on to Damian Pierce if you can't move him for something worthwhile. You can sell him as soon as the playoffs end. Boom, the playoffs are done. 
Now I'm going to sell Damien Pierce for whatever I can get, probably a similar value. But I got to bank all the points all season anyway. The only way that you lose in that situation is if he gets hurt. And I, if if he's going to produce similar to what he's been producing thus far, I think you'll be very happy holding him. But what we are going to be disappointed by is that undrafted or late drafted running backs simply do not have staying power. Like we rarely see these guys turn into valuable year over year contributors, despite seeing some of them pop up nearly every year. Like running back is so volume dependent. And if you're the guy getting the volume and you're at all competent, you're going to score some fantasy points. That's, that's just how it works. Freaking Ronald Jones had an RB2 season one year. Ronald Jones had an RB2 season. Damian Pierce is absolutely going to have probably a back-end RB1 or high-end RB2 season. He's he's right in kind of like the David Montgomery range, I think, in terms of uh, fantasy production right now. Except it could all get evaporated as soon as the draft hits next year because teams do crazy things. We just saw Travis Etienne get drafted to James Robinson's team. I didn't necessarily think that was going to happen. I thought we'd see James Robinson have another season where he, like, kind of like Jordan Howard, where he like pops onto the scene, he's really good, scores a bunch of fantasy points, everybody loves him, and then he just kind of like goes down from there. And it's sad. And you just want to get out at that point. Let like ride him while he's hot. And as soon as that ends, just get out before the bottom falls out. That's kind of my stance on right. Damien Pierce. And therefore, he does not belong in the top uh top 10 dynasty running backs at all. Here's my stance on Damien Pierce. And you know. I want to preface this not like to brag or anything because honestly I sold a few of my shares in August, which which of course has proven not to be uh, the best EV move in hindsight. But I just want to do this to preface that like I'm not speaking from a place of like bias against Damian Pierce or that like I'm mad I got him wrong. Um, here is me in the Discord on May second. Okay, someone said, "Can you please explain your ranking on Damian Pierce? You're way ahead of everybody else." And I said, "Yes." He was RB5 for me in the class pre-draft. I like the profile. He's efficient. He has size. And he seems like he can catch passes because he was catching at a, at a high A dot relative to running backs in college. He's often going later than where Carter and Sturman were last year. I feel strongly he's a much better prospect. So I think he's a good bet to go up in value week one. I got him just in the middle of the second round to me. Pierce is bigger and, um, than Carter. He's better, uh, in the same position as possibly the lead back of a very bad team. Opportunity cost is much lower. And if he does succeed, maybe there's a better chance that he can hold his job since he's not a small man. All that being said, if he ever becomes worth a first-round pick, I will be telling you to sell him and screaming it from the mountaintops. But for now, I like him at cost. Um, that that take obviously came to fruition. Plenty of mine did not. I like Damian Pierce as a player. Um, when I watch him, I think that he has a lot of really fun rushing abilities. Uh, he reminds me a little bit. Honestly, the player he reminds me the most of in terms of like these day three or UDFA running backs that catch on to me is Chris Carson in terms of a, his profile, where we didn't know that much about him because he was really underutilized in college. Chris Carson was playing essentially behind Justice Hill. Damian Pierce was part of this massive committee. But he flashes, he gets this opportunity, and he's crushing it, and he runs like a madman. He's almost impossible to bring down. Doesn't necessarily have the explosive top-end speed. And the pass catching, I think, is more like a he-can-do-it type of situation and not like a he-excels-in-this-part-of-the-game situation. I think that's generally what we've seen so far in the NFL. And... The only running backs that have been these day three later running backs recently, like I don't want to talk about guys from the early 2000s or the 90s, but like in recent times, the only running backs who I think if you didn't sell them for a first round pick in their rookie year, you'd be like really sad about it would be Aaron Jones for sure. 
And then like kind of Austin Eckler, but he was also cheap for a long time. So if you sold him at one point, you probably could have bought him back, but whatever. We'll count Austin Eckler and Aaron Jones. Like clearly had careers that were very much worthy of paying a first round pick for them at some point in their first couple of years. Uh, Chris Carson had a really great career. Like in terms of a, he was around seven pick, right? Not UDFA. I think he was around seven, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Dream career for a day three pick, right? He got a second contract. He gave a lot of usable fantasy production really great player. He like had significant injuries, still regained the job afterwards, showed a lot of resiliency. I'm pretty sure if at any point in time he sold Chris Carson for a first round pick, you're not like that sad about it. Like he never gave a season that was the Chris Carson season, right? If you paid a first round pick for Chris Carson early in his career, you're also probably not that sad about it. But at the very least, it's like a meh kind of trade off, right? And the thing is like what Pierce is good at, and I love watching him, it's not, he doesn't have the comparative advantages in the aspects of the position that create elite fantasy value. And he, and he doesn't have them in the aspects of the position that causes coaches to view you as irreplaceable. What we see with players like a Jones or like an Eckler is elite pass catching explosive players, right? Players with a skill that are rare to find. Damian Pierce is like a marginally better running back than most average running backs. But he's like the classic case of like the running backs don't matter running back in the sense that like he's better at a lot of things that marginally matter, but on aggregate, you can mostly replace him with other things. And so I think he's going to be in the NFL for a while, but I think that he's the kind of back that teams eventually are like, you know what? I'd like to get some more speed. I'd like to get a pass catching compliment. And then all of a sudden, then what is he right? Then he's just like sharing the, the Damian Harris end of a committee with someone. Right. And and like, I don't think that he's like a Chubb or a Henry level transcendent talent. I think he's more likely the Damian Harris, um, you know, who's like plugging along, having a nice career, really good running back. But you're never like, oh my God, man, I'm so mad that I don't have Damian Harris on my fantasy football team. So I am selling Pierce for one. I think he's a good player. I'm not going to guarantee you that he gets replaced in the draft or anything like that. All, all I'm going to say is that I think that we can play the percentages. And at his value, you can find better bets, right? Like you can find comparable bets that don't have the same type of risk as a day three pick. And frankly, you're not foregoing that much upside. Damian Pierce does not profile like a player who's going to be a top five running back year over year over year. Like fading a Austin Eckler or an Aaron Jones skill set is way scarier than fading a Damian Pierce skill set. In fact, what I'd be much more afraid of is foregoing the players you can draft in the first round next year instead of foregoing Damian Pierce, right? Let's not fall victim to the endowment effect where your bird in the hand is worth more than the bird in the bush or two in the bush. Um, because I, I think that there's, you know, a lot more opportunity for higher upside bets later. Uh, how's that? I tried to measure my film bro energy on Pierce, but also try well, to give. I, I want to just retouch on uh, the two players I mentioned, James Robinson and uh, Jordan Howard, because neither of them actually had, a competitor to come in and take their work. They just simply didn't score as much. Uh, James Robinson, like we thought that Travis, Travis Etienne got drafted. We thought he was nuked. Right. That incinerated then, his value, but then he, he, he tore his foot up. Yeah. And then, and then Etienne didn't play. And James Robinson still went from 17.9 down to 12.4 points per game year over year. Like we do not have a lot of staying power with these running backs. And then if you look as well at, um, Jordan Howard, a similar situation, 15.3 fantasy points per game as a rookie, and in his second year down to 12.5 because for no reason. Like there was no there was no big running well, back. Well, Tariq Cohen was pretty clearly the, the guy there. Yeah, but 
that wasn't the change. Like uh, J- Jordan Howard went from 29 receptions his first year to 23 in his second year. Like it, it just wasn't what changed his his outlook. Yeah, it prevented his growth for sure, but like it didn't really change what happened. He just yeah. ran really hot. He had 5.2 yards per carry, which is is hard to replicate. And he, you know, like it just wasn't as good. Right. Sim- simply wasn't as good. Didn't score as many points. His his yards per reception, I think, is actually what really went down for uh, Jordan Howard in particular. He went from 29 receptions for 298 yards down to 23 receptions for 125 yards. Now, maybe that is the Terry Cohen effect where Terry Cohen was running down the field on third downs. I don't know if his dot materially changed year over year, but... At the end of the day, and, and again, like Tariq Cohen wasn't a big time addition to the Bears running back. No. He was a fifth round pick who could catch two footballs at the same time while doing a backflip. Like that is Tariq Cohen's claim to fame. It was amazing. And we all should have drafted him based on that one clip alone. And we did, and we loved it. He was very productive as a, what was he, a round five running back, Tariq Cohen? Something like that. Yeah. So it was great. Like it was great. Anyways. Uh, yeah, like these guys just don't have a lot of staying power and I'm just not willing to hold them through the off season when we see things change. That's basically what it comes down to. Yeah, no, I love it. All right. Well, let's, um, I had a couple of the running backs on the list, but we got to move on because we're already, I want to like, talk about one more real quick. And I'm okay, sorry, let's I'm talk mad. about, let's talk about one last thing. Let's do it. Yeah. Okay. So we're talking about the top 10 dynasty running backs, right? There yeah. is a running back that you're very fond of that you did not put in your top 10, and I would okay. like to know why is, you're... So is this Travis Etienne? No, it's not Travis oh. Etienne. We're talking about okay. a running back that's good. I'm kidding. Travis Etienne's good. But a running back that you are obsessed with... Oh, Ramondre Stevenson? Ramondre Stevenson did not make your top 10 dynasty running backs, and I would like to know exactly how fraudulent you are. So honestly, I'm pretty fraudulent. Like I don't actually have that <laughs> high of a share of Ronder Stevenson. Um, so this is kind of the same thing with Pollard. Like for, first of all, like it's just like an error. I also play like this is just a random thing, but I, I basically have like three groups of like league categories that I'm in. So one is with like a lot of like kind of home league types and other people that we've met. And so it's like a conglomeration of like different groups of people. And then like another one is just sort of like leagues with analysts from Twitter and stuff. And then, and, and I would include like patron leagues and stuff within that. And then the other is like, I kind of just found this like group of like really obsessed dynasty folks that does a bunch of leagues together, but like half of them are from Boston. Um, and they draft from Andre Stevenson egregiously early and like every Patriots player egregiously early, which is awesome in a sense because Mac Jones goes like the early fourth, which is like something I was never planning on doing. But then also like Ramondre Stevenson goes in like round seven of a dynasty startup. And I was like, well, I was really hoping to get him around 12, but that's not going to happen. Anyway, I shouldn't blame them. I should take, I should take responsibility. Um, I wish I had way more Ramondre Stevenson, but I've always loved the player. Um, I think that the one big thing is, is like, I like to just buy these guys at the absolute bottom and then kind of ride them up. And I ride them up a little longer than you do. Um, I didn't have a lot of Stevenson because humble brag, my number one guy in the late rounds in the 2021 class was Elijah Mitchell. Um, and no so I was guy. just, uh, so I was like always clicking the Mitchell button, which meant that I was only clicking the Stevenson button when I'd already clicked the Mitchell button and I still had another pick uh, in the round to, to click the Stevenson button. Um, I also sold a few shares, uh, unfortunately, 
Mostly because I just kind of thought that his talent wouldn't be realized. And quite frankly, let's just be honest, like he's gotten so incredibly lucky um, that he's gotten this run out. Like, so I made Stevenson, for those that don't read me, um, please do, fun article. I write an article every week called The Hitchhiker's Guide to Running Back. And the premise of the article is, is we stream running back plays based on late round picks and waiver wire picks and stuff each week. And before the season, I kicked off with, okay, this is my like roster of running backs. And I picked six running backs with round nine ADP or later in redraft. And I was like, these, this is like my starting six backs. And then for the rest of the year, the only backs I can stream are these six and then players that are available on waivers. Um, and Ramondre was my first pick uh, of those running backs. He was my round nine selection in that fake hypothetical draft. And I wrote all these glowing things about how he was second in his class in yards per route run. And so even though he didn't run a lot of routes in college, he showed that ability that he was used really creatively in the passing game last year, where he was running these Texas routes, he's running wheel routes, he was getting the type of usage that we don't see out of Damian Harris, or that we don't see out of most of these plotting backs. And that that skill set, combined with him being an extremely efficient rusher at 231 pounds is just really rare. Like the only running back I could ever think of that reminded me of Ronder Stevenson just kept being Le'Veon Bell over and over again. Cause I was like, who else has this, this unique blend of skill sets? It's just him and Bell. And then the issue was like Damian Harris, unfortunately, I think is also like a really good rusher. I don't care about him in fantasy because he catches like no passes ever, but he's like very talented and there's no reason to just not use him. And then they started doing all these Ty Montgomery shenanigans um, and I was like, okay, well, if he's like kind of just like one third of committee, then I, I want to get exposure, but I'm not going to get massively overexposed. So that's, that's, that's my, that's my mea culpa there. That being said, still rooting for the player. And I have him in this column week one, he plays 25% of the snaps. He runs literally five routes. And I was like, wow, I look like the biggest idiot on the planet for spending the last two months, like hyping this guy. Um, and he runs five routes, like. And I was like, this guy's this pass-catching guy. runs five routes, moron. And then, anyway, Ty Montgomery goes on IR, and I wrote this, like, whimsical statement about um, paths and woods and how, like, the easiest one isn't always the first one that defines whatever. And then, sure enough, you know, he gets the full pass-catching role next to Harris. He's been playing, like, 60% of the snaps. To Harris, it's 40% of the snaps since Ty Montgomery goes on IR. Killing it in pass, bro. He's playing all the pass downs, playing the full two-minute drill, and he's splitting the rushing like 50-50, which is a pretty good role. It's like the Kareem Hunt role with a little bit more rushing. Uh, and he he was pretty much just an RB2 for the last three last three weeks. And then Harris pulls a hamstring, and they literally only have Stevenson. So he plays every single snap for the rest of the game. He plays 90% of the snaps total, 27 touches. Uh, he has 184 total yards, I believe. Uh, somehow, no touchdown. And he looks phenomenal. Sorry, 175 total yards? Yeah, on two receptions, by the way. Okay. Once they, well, I think they threw two passes the entire game. So that's actually a pretty – that's 100% target. Both to him, then, because um, target. Yeah. Um, anyway, he looked incredible. I did a film breakdown in the Patreon with a couple different clips. Uh, really, really fun player. And Harris is going to miss a few games. So I think he's like clearly a mid-tier RB1 for the foreseeable future. The question now is, what the hell do we do in Dynasty? Because – my line all the season has been like, I think he's a better bet than you're going to find in round two. But I sold my first share of Stevenson in a while. And I was able to get, I, I sold Stevenson in a fourth. Stevenson in a 2023 fourth for a 2024 first. Um, and that was a good test of my faith. So here's my thoughts. I love Stevenson. I do like his skill set more than Pierce. Because he's a better pass catcher, in my opinion. 
He's also a better rusher. He's like PFF's third graded running back right now overall. He's first in juke rate. He's killing every advanced metric. He's also a 24-year-old day three running back. Um, so I think that he should not be valued at a first-round pick. And this is like the worst part of me being like a, a talent carer about person is that I always fall in love with these guys. But I'm not like a, I'm not an actual film bro. Like I, I like, I'm like a fake film bro where I like find these faves, but like the actual film bros will just like diamond hand their favorite players, even when they become egregiously overvalued, but I, I won't like I'll sell them. And then I end up in these fights where I'm like, you crazy people. Why are you still valuing this guy? And like, like this happened with Elijah Mitchell where do you, do you watch RuPaul's drag race? Probably not. You're like the whitest dude on earth. The straightest white student in the don't planet. Don't really watch television, so I definitely don't. Okay, watch that. so for, for the RuPaul's Drag Race fans about. in the house, that's true. For the RuPaul's Drag Race fans in the house, uh, I believe her name, uh, the queen's name, is Scarlet Envy. And there's this like viral clip where where the queen goes. Uh, I want to say she. I think that's the correct term, but like it's a anyway. Um, and it's like, am I the villain? I'm not the villain. Am I? Am I the drama? And like that's how I feel with these with these players that I love. It's like, am I the villain for not wanting to to buy Romeo Dubs for first, Ramondre Stevenson first? So you tell me, am I the villain? Are you buying Ramondre Stevenson for first? Hell no, absolutely not. The Bat Lab always does this. Like uh, he's he's one of the patrons, one of one of my favorite patrons. Yeah. Great, patron. Uh, he does this. Great trend, this... you might say. What's that? Well, you, you, I said he's a great patron, and then I said you might say he's a great trend. He's a great friend, yes. He does this thing where he's like, am I the baddie? <laughs> it cracks me up every time. Uh, anyways, yeah, you are the baddie for just being such a fraud with Ramondre Stevenson. We're yeah. we are like two weeks away from trading Najee Harris. Sorry, Ramondre Stevenson for Najee Harris straight up. Well, did you see fellow Bulletproof Discord analyst? Did you see I posted this? I added you. What? Why didn't we leave with this? David Gautieri, Guru Fantasy World. Bulletproof yeah. Discord analyst said, yeah. if I have Ramondre Stevenson and you offer me Najee Harris in any format, I'm hitting decline. Oh, oh, David. And then oh, when no. I, and then did you see the next receipt that I posted right after that? Because it was no, a message I... from me. It was a message from me on November 10th, 2021. And I said, oh, Ramondre, right greater than decline, Najee. And you said, I'm at the point where I can't tell what isn't, what isn't satire from you. <laughs> which i think makes sense i cannot tell if that is satire from you I, today i can't tell if that would be satire or not D david I'm come on unsure. man you can't you can't be come on man we like come on like we we hate nausea in this house i get it we are not on nausea's team in this house but a third round running back who's coming out of a committee fourth, only actually because of injury, fourth actually Fourth, fourth round, day three, I mean, a fourth round running back who's only getting his shot because of injury to like five guys in front of him and a, a tragic retirement from uh, James White. I don't know. That's tough. I, I'm still taking Najee. Okay, so. But I'm not putting Najee. Am I the camp. villain? You are the okay, villain. You're the baddie. Here's the villain. Here's the villainous thing. Okay, so first of all, I want to make clear. Ramondre's like an infinitely better player than Najee Harris, and the Steelers are hilarious because they could have just drafted Ramondre Stevenson in round three, uh, and they would have got like a much better player, and instead they drafted Najee Harris in round one. 
<laughs> Let's not spin this into a DFB encounter <laughs> likes Najee Harris take because that's not true. No, I. But I mean, can, yeah, can you at least agree? This, can you at least agree? This, such morons. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> that was so. Something really interesting happened with the Steelers. No, okay, no, that was a quick tangent. We're not ruining this. Quick tangent. Okay, my point is, Ramondre is way better football than Najee Harris. That being said. So, Ah, oh, geez. When, that, when did they draft that oh Jarvis? Was it Jarvis Jones? Is that the edge rusher they drafted? Yeah, it was Jarvis years? Jones. Yeah, like five, six, yeah. seven years ago, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he was like super unathletic, like like a non-athlete basically. Yeah. But everyone was like, "Oh, but he's like a gamer. Like he's just gonna make it happen because he's so passionate and loves football. He's coach's son. I'm certain all those kinds of things that were propping up this Jarvis Jones pick, and he and he epically flamed out. And from, yeah. from that day forward until the Najee Harris pick, from that day forward until the Najee Harris pick, the Steelers picked athletes only. Every first rounder they took was like an uber athlete. And then we got Najee Harris. I was like, what are they doing? If you're going to take a freaking running back, at least take Travis Etienne, who has game-breaking potential. Like, right. at least do that. If you're going to light your pick on fire, at least swing for the goddamn ceiling. And they just yeah. were like, no, we're going to take the safe guy from Alabama. He's going to get us four yards of carry, probably. It's totally reliable. They were mistaken, by the way. <laughs> that was wrong. <laughs> yeah. Three and a half at best. Uh, it's, uh, it's just there. And then they oh, follow up with Kenny Oh, here's Pickett, a stat. Off the Did you know this? That Najee Harris has more games in his career with less than three yards per carry than more than four yards per carry. And people for reference, all these for ones. reference, it's Nick Chubb has never had a full season under five yards per carry. God, it's 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 awful. <laughs> anyway, anyway, let's move on. But my whole point was the Ramondre. I love. He's better than Najee. That being said, he was a day three pick, and the world that he needs to be better than Najee. They're the same age. They're both really old rookies. The world that he needs to be better than Najee, like projectively, is that Dame is it first of all, they need to decide that Ramondre actually is the pass down back. And not only he's the pass down back until Ty Montgomery returns, but just Ty Montgomery comes back and he's relevant. We're just sticking with Ramondre. And then he needs Damian Harris to sign elsewhere. And then he needs them to bring in no meaningful competition. And then they need to let Ramondre have like a 70 to 80% backfield share. Like that's possible. And, and I think like honestly, that'd be a pretty good decision on their part. But yeah. it's it's Everyone, certainly not it's certainly not like locked in reality. So if you're like telling me which running back is more likely to have a seventy percent opportunity share next year, Ramondre Stevenson or Najee Harris? Unfortunately, it's not even close, and it's Najee Harris. And so I'd rather have Najee Harris than Dynasty. Yeah, easily. And it's like if you know James White retires and Ty Montgomery goes in IR, and then Damian Harris gets hurt. And was there another guy mixed in there too, or is it no, just those three? No, Who? there was not. There was nothing. Oh, there was else. Just those three guys. I mean, I mean there was like Pierre Strong and Kevin Harris, but I mean they were. Oh, yeah, they, they, yeah, whatever. Anyways, let's let's go back to the first topic of the day. We're now entering topic uh, one, an hour and two minutes into the show. Great job, Jacob. Way to keep it concise. Yeah. Sorry, Matt. What do we do with our awful redraft teams? This is what I wanted to know. If, yeah. This go. is a topic near and dear to my heart because I'm playing redraft for the first time in like six, seven years. I have two teams that are one and four, and I don't really know how to deal with it because I've never been in this position before because I freaking played Dynasty. you never played Redraft before? <laughs> I don't play right, redraft. And this is funny because I had a big conversation in Discord today about what you do when you're one and four in uh, – what you do when you're one and four in 
Dynasty, which is you sell everybody. Yeah, we already um, talked about that last week. Right, but but in redraft, it's difficult. You can't improve your draft position the next year by selling your in players. Redraft, you just have to... Trying to. I mean, at least you can do trades. The worst by far is in the Scott Fishbowl when you drafted what you thought was a fun team, and then Javante Williams goes out for the year, and then T. Higgins gets injured in the first play of the game, and then you're just sitting at a useless roster. It's a rotting host, but... You, yeah, I was not. Great. Oh, did you? We played each other. Yeah, and it was like really, really close. We were we were projected one point apart until Sunday Night Football, and where I had T. Higgins and you had Mark Andrews, and T. Higgins played zero of the snaps after like the first drive, and then Mark Andrews had a million points, and then it was not very close anymore. Slow down. How on earth can we possibly be close when I got point one four points from Matt Ryan and negative one from Teddy Bridgewater at my quarterback? Well, uh, unfortunately. Uh, my hero running back build of Javante Williams became a zero running back build real fast when he left. And I had to play Tyler Algier and Khalil Herbert at running back this week. And they got me seven combined points. Um, and uh, who else was really shitty this week? Everybody else was like, just like really mediocre. Like wasn't yeah, any touchdown. Team is uh, and then uh, and then and then T. Higgins obviously uh, put up a full out zero, which which ended any hopes. All right, so but yeah, okay, let's your do a team is awful. We get it. Now we need to rebuild okay. one and four teams with trading allowed. What are you doing? Yeah, so I in these patron leagues that we did, um, I'm in two of them. I think you're in all three. I'm in two of them, and I'm on both sides in bulletproof patron two. Life is good. I'm four and one. I'm in first place. In Bulletproof Patron 3, life is bad. I'm 1-4. and four. I'm in 10th place. I'm only ahead of two teams, one of whom is, is your team. Um, <laughs> people pay for our advice. So that we can finish 10th and 12th us. in Bulletproof <laughs> League 3. Um, and uh, shockingly, I drafted Zeke in that league and didn't lead to good results. Anyway, uh, what do you do? I think what you do is... Unfortunately, not as much as you think. So I have like more lists for like what not to do. What not to do is to start doing like dumb things like, oh my God, I can't win this week because this guy's on buy and I'm going to make like a minus EV long run trade to solve a buy week issue. Or uh, I'm going to trade, you know, my star player for just like a couple of okay players. Um, because ultimately, I think that, you know, 11 or 12 teams lose a league. Everybody finds out that you're one of them at different times. I don't think that there's like some level of fake pride in like making the quarterfinals and losing versus just like straight up losing. And I think like if you, if the only way is to like play week to week where you're literally like min maxing for bye weeks and injuries to the extent that you might be able to buy a couple wins here and there to scratch and claw towards the six seed. And then you just have a horrible team when you get there. I don't really think that that's the answer. Um, I think in terms of trades you're trying to make, like, first of all, or, or, First of all, you should diagnose your team, right? Um, are there players who I think are materials, materially worse bets than they were when I drafted them? Um, you know, such that my team is just not good anymore? Or are there players that are just underperforming? So I think, like, if you have Allen Robinson on your team, for example, like, I'm sorry, but, like, you just threw your fourth or fifth round pick, like, into the garbage. Like, you're not getting anything out of Allen Robinson this year. If you drafted Jamar Chase... I think you're like, well, it hasn't been good, but like, I don't think I'm going to be able to trade Jamar Chase for someone who's a better bet to give me massive production than Jamar Chase. And so I think you just have to hope 
then it gets better. Um, I think that if there's like structural issues, so I don't know, say maybe your wide receiver is really good, but you went zero running back and you didn't hit on a Jamal Williams. You didn't hit on a Ramondre Stevenson. You didn't hit on a Clyde edwards or whatever. So, you know, you're, you're just sitting on like nothing at the running back position, but your wide receivers are strong. Maybe you can make a trade with somebody else. Right. Um, definitely work the way fire. And I think in general, like you want to make high variance bets. Like you want to be able to find the guy who, especially if your team is low value, the guy who might be like a league difference making player on your team. If you get them on your team right now and you somehow get a lucky break. So like I would trade for like really elite upside handcuffs. Like I want to get like a Rashad white on my team. Like, you want that kind of jolt. Like if you have Kenneth Walker on your bench, like you just feel like a jolt of energy right now. Like you're going to your boys and you're like, you're in the locker room. You're the coach of your team. You're like, ah, look, we're one and four. But Rashad Pennysburg is fibula. And we got Kenneth Walker right here. Help is on the way. The cavalry is coming. We're going to take over this lead by storm. I think you want those types of bets on your bench with the potential to erupt. And then, uh, and the other thing is like, I would go after guys like, I don't know, DeAndre Hopkins, maybe like a Kadarius fucking Tony, even where it's like, he's worth nothing. And you could probably trade someone who's worth nothing to go get him. And it's like, I don't know, maybe he comes back healthy and he like all of a sudden leads the giants and targets. Like I'd probably not, but maybe I, I would just want to try and take big swings on like finding upside because you're not going to go find it in the draft any longer. What, what do you have? Cause I don't have anything that I think is, is necessarily going to soothe people's concerns, but. Well, I think the worst thing you can do is not try anymore. <laughs> Like right, I, I refuse to just mail it in at this point. Uh, I, I'm one in four and two of the three leagues. The, the one league, I have a really good team, I think, and it's just not putting it together, in which case I'm kind of prone to just like wait it out. But here's the problem. Yeah. I, I haven't done the math on a 17-week uh, regular season or a 17-week season now, but it used to be in the 16-week season. 14 games now. 14 games. Yeah. So in the 16 week like fantasy seasons, you had to win seven weeks to get into the playoffs. Like if you won seven weeks, you're pretty much in. It uh, probably eight, yeah. six, seven was seven was a number. I think you probably need eight now, but it might be still seven. I'm not really sure. Anyways, so if you're sitting at one and four, like you don't have many games you can lose. Like it's it's time. Eight you pretty much gets you in, like for a sure. And then yeah. seven, if you have high points for, you're probably good. Yeah. So it's like seven's like a coin flip. If you get in eight, you're in. So like if you're one and four, you got three losses left. That's it. You need to make it happen. So I'm sitting here looking at, you know, who did I draft early that's playing really, really well? Because obviously there's some deficiency in your lineup. Unless you're like top two or three in points four and just got unlucky, then just stay the course. But if your team just isn't scoring, you need to evaluate why. You need to do like an autopsy on what right. the hell went wrong. So, and the league, like, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go through this team because I think it's a great example of a team yeah. where the the team looks fine. It's just not scoring. So I took uh, Josh Allen, who's doing great. I have, where, where I'm going wrong, I took Cam Akers, I took Keenan Allen, I took DeAndre Hopkins. Ain't none of those guys are doing anything. Keenan's been out. Right. Hopkins was it was suspended. We knew he wouldn't do anything. Yeah. Hopkins, seconds. you already knew what you were going to get. And Keenan, he got hurt. Happens. Yeah. And Acres just Acres. Acres is the Akers. only one where it's like you're probably not getting what you hoped of at this point. Yeah. And if I look at this team, I'm like bottom third in points four. It's not terrible. It's not like 
it's not impossible to win a tie, points tiebreaker if if you know you're on hot the rest of the season. But I'm looking at it. And I'm like, I need. I, I can't lose anymore. I need to get a win. So right. I'm looking at it and being like, what can I do to make this team win now? So I'm looking at what can I get for Josh Allen, and that may backfire because it's going to lower my weekly ceiling because nobody else is going to put up points like Josh Allen is. But I can't afford any more losses or I'm not going to make the playoffs no matter how good my team is in weeks 9, 10, 11, 12. <laughs> like at that point, it's too late. So you need to just evaluate where your team's at. I have Keenan hopefully coming back from injury. I have Hopkins coming back from suspension. If I insert those two guys on my lineup, what does my team look like? My team looks pretty freaking good at that point. There, yeah. There's very little chance that this team is terrible at that point. I have another league with the patrons that I'm getting my like, I went in the draft or during the draft, I went into the patrons discord and I was like, I'm getting wiped here. Like this, this is going terrible. I'm getting nobody that I want. You guys are taking all the players I like way ahead of ADP and you're leaving me with nothing. And this team sucks. I got <laughs> nothing to work with. I'm one and four. I got no prospects coming back. There's no Keenan Allen sitting on the bench. There's no DeAndre Hopkins sitting on the bench. My yeah. team is just terrible. So I got, I got Swift on the bench. He, he hasn't played for a few weeks. So I'm like, well, can I trade DeAndre Swift and get something juicy in return? And like a couple, I'm looking for second half breakouts at this point. I need a miracle. I, I can't right. go and buy points because they nobody's selling me points. I need to buy a miracle down the stretch. So I'm looking at rookies and second-year players that might bounce back. I'm targeting players like, uh, George Pickens, who's off to a really strong start after Kenny Pickett got reinserted or got inserted in the lineup for the first time. Elijah Moore is a bounce back candidate. Rashad Bateman, if Keenan Allen's out there and somebody's willing to give him up for a lesser player, I'd be willing to do that. Like if I could trade a, I don't know, a Tyler Lockett for a Keenan Allen and maybe I can get like a right. better running back dart throw or something like that. Like I'm looking for those like minor changes that I can make to my roster where I'm giving up assured points for a hopeful like run the table end of season. Yeah, I'm in a similar spot, maybe even a worse spot to you. So like the one team that I have, four and one, it's first in points four. It's awesome. No concerns about that team. Uh it'll for sure make playoffs. Hopefully it gets a buy. Other teams a disaster. And I'm not really sure how to make it that much better. So round one, I took Chase. That's an example where, like, I'm still fine with having Jamar Chase. And I just think that he's eventually going to score points. And if he doesn't, I lose. But I don't think I can, like, necessarily trade him for, like, a much better chance to score points. Round two, I took Trey Lance. Obviously, it's a super flex league. Uh, and he doesn't play anymore. So basically, I'm playing without a second round pick, which is not good. Brady, fine. Round four, I took uh, DJ Less. So that's that's not good. So basically, I'm playing without a second-round pick, and I'm playing with a fourth-round pick who probably should have been an eighth-round pick. Uh, I took Jalen Waddle in the fifth. That's pretty good. Uh, I took Ezekiel Elliott in the sixth, um, the pick before Josh Jacobs. I want to uh, want to end it all, actually. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, then I took Gabe Davis, which is an incredible pick in round seven, just laying the world on fire. Somehow so still with me this week. So um, and then, yeah, I mean, really the only, like, really good pick that I had, unfortunately, late rounds was uh, uh, Clyde Abrissolaire in round nine. Uh, and he, I don't think, actually, like, will help me going forward. It's just that he was really hot in the stretch where I didn't win games anyway. Uh, and then Romeo Dobbs I got in, like, round 14, which is, like, great for a round 14 pick, but he's probably still not the reason I'm going to win the league. So, so I feel 
I feel like Romeo Dubs is another good target in redraft where people aren't like all yeah. the way in on him yet. And he has a potential for like a strong second half breakout. Uh, I'd be very interested. I agree, in Dubs in I agree with that. I mean, it's so much fun because like the risk of a Romeo Dubs and dynasty is like high, but in redraft, it's like, who gives a fuck? Like, you know, like, <laughs> so what if he blows up in smoke, he blows up in smoke. I'll trade for Romeo Dubs. Especially on these one in four teams where you're already screwed anyway. So it's like, well, I'm going to finish last or I'm going to finish last. And at least I've given it my best shot. Right. So light up the dubs. Yeah. Yeah. So like, like guys like that, where you have this like high variance outcome, uh, like a sky more is basically droppable in redraft for some teams right now. I would go and offer oh, yeah. something for sky more right picking now. Up sky more picking up sky more off the waivers for sure. Like, by the way, don't go and drop sky more. What I mean is like the masses are probably looking at it and being like, yeah, he's getting like two targets a game. Who cares about this guy? But we see things like this happen sometimes. Like we're up, up, like DJ Moore in his rookie year basically did absolutely nothing for like eight weeks. And then after the buy just was immediately good. And who knows if that happens in Sky more? We have no idea. The point is we're looking for a huge variance, high variance of outcome, in which case it might flip our entire season and we can run the table down the stretch. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. Who knows? So fill up your bench. Like, And, and the other thing with this uh, like rebuilding, quote-unquote, uh, rebuilding in a redraft league is these like wide receivers that you're holding on your bench that are not going to have an impact, cut them. Go and get these high variance exactly. running backs. And hope that the guy in front of them gets hurt. If there's, uh, you know, it, when, so here's the thing. Oftentimes what will happen is the running back gets hurt. Their backup's taken immediately. If you don't get that backup, don't worry. Go get that backup's backup. Get the third string RB because you never know. You never know which guy is going to emerge in these backfields sometimes. Often it's pretty clear, but a lot of times it's like, I don't know. It's going to be one of these guys. And then that guy gets hurt, and your guy is now the flavor of the month, and away you go. Or or that guy sucks, and now your guy just gets elevated because the other guy sucked. So just stay yeah. on top of the waiver wire. Fill your bench Cheers. with uh, high-variance running backs, and then flip them for non-high-variance players that are – Yeah, good. here's a life here's a life hack for sure. Um, is like you really only need – depending on your build, you might even need zero. If you have like, if you have like legitimate starting wide receivers that are just on your bench because of how you drafted and you haven't been able to trade up yet, but you really only need like one or maybe zero, depending on how you built like insurance wide receiver in terms of like a guy that like doesn't really have high upside, but like, you know, you can start them on a bye week You can start them if you get an injury, something like that. Um, so what I would do is like, you can hold those guys throughout the week if you want, because something's really going to happen throughout the week. And then on Sunday morning, just like drop that player, whoever you've been holding, say it's Zay Jones. Say you're holding Zay Jones on your bench, right? He's like a perfect guy where it's like in a pinch, you can start Zay Jones and be fine, but like he doesn't really have that much upside. Every Sunday morning, you just drop Zay Jones for any backup running back. Just pick one, any backup running back who has a starter in front of him that may or may not get hurt that day. Ideally one playing the 12 p.m. game, okay? Then you hold that backup running back and you watch the 12 p.m. games. And then if the starter does not get hurt and it's three o'clock, then you drop that running back for another backup running back whose starter plays in the three thirty games. And then you drop that backup running back for a starter who plays on Sunday night or Monday night. And then if none of them get hurt and you don't get anybody, then on the waiver wire, you just like can just repick up Zay Jones. Or if you can't get Zay Jones and you just get some other Zay Jones esque player, um, you know, in the in the vicinity of Zay Jones. 
And then you do the same thing over and over again the next week. Uh, and then you give yourself a massive. Do I still do that in my leagues? No, I unfortunately I play in like 60 leagues now. But when I used to play in three leagues, I used to like be that extra with it. Another life hack is to, you should look at the slate every week. And if you if there's like no discernible difference between the defenses and kickers in the early games and the late games, what I would like to do is uh, just roster two extra backup running backs for the early games and then drop those running backs at 3 p.m. for your kicker and defense to play either at 3 p.m. Sunday Night Football or Monday Night Football. And so that you get two extra free looks to see if a running back gets hurt in the noon game slot. Um, so these are like fun ways where if you're only playing in like one home league and you have the amount of spare time where like you can go through these things, like and just check every couple hours in your Yahoo account or whatever, you can gain a lot of surplus value because I used to do this when I was in just one or two leagues and it hits more often than you think. Um, and, and it's really cool, especially when you're in a shallow league, right? Like some of the leagues we're playing, every single backup running back is already owned. But if you're like in a classic Yahoo league, Kenneth Walker was available in 55% of Yahoo leagues, right? Like, so like Rashad White is available in 66% of them right now. And if Leonard Fournette tears his ACL this week, like Leonard Rashad White's probably a top 10 running back for the rest of the season. And you could just have him on your bench, like for now, at the at the opportunity cost of not rostering a defense from the 12 p.m. game and instead rostering a defense from the 3 p.m. game, which is like not an opportunity cost at all. So that that's that's what I build off on on your take there. And that's not like just for bad teams, that's for any team. Um in fact, if you have a really, really, really good team, I would do that even more aggressively because you can just like not even start a kicker or a defense if you're winning the game and you don't really have to worry about the points for uh, pain because you're like five and oh. So that's what I got. Um Drew wants to end this show. He just posted in the private chat. Let's end after this segment. And that's okay, but we do have one more segment we have to do. And that is that Gabriel Davis scored 30 points this week and you need to get dunked on. But before you do that, I will give you a quick chance. Okay, so, you know, Daenerys Targaryen, right, in Game of Thrones, she would give people an option, right? They could either bend the knee or her dragon would breathe fire upon them. Um, and I just want to give you an opportunity to bend the knee. Will you embrace Gabriel Davis as your one true king, or must I unleash dragon fire upon you? There is not bend? a chance in the world in which I'm going to bend the knee on a three-catch performance, no matter how glorious those catches were. Never. Not a chance. The guy, I just, I, like, so I, I mentioned it last episode. I have not been going out in the uh, Twitter sphere and what would be the word? I've not been victory lapping per se, but I've been reporting the news weekly. Uh, this is what happened this week on the two players that I got dunked on like mad in week one. I was fading AJ Dillon, naturally. I was fading Gabriel Davis, of course. And they both had relatively good week ones. And the masses let me know. So I was like, which one did I get most wrong? Which one did I make the biggest mistake on? And the, the masses voted in favor of AJ Dillon, of course, 43.7%. Voted for AJ Dillon. 19.4% voted Gabriel Davis. 19.3% voted both. And 17.6% voted neither. So 176 were on my side. Since then, we now have Gabriel Davis scoring 15 points per game. The dude is a stud. Wide receiver 21 in the world. On a 12.9% target share. 
Three touchdowns in four games, five targets per game with a scintillating 28.1 yards per reception. The dude is on fire. And you're going to ask me to bend the knee on a 28.1 yards per reception season? Get out of here. 12.9% target share. Beat it. He had, the Game one, he was not injured. He had 16%. Game, what were he on? Five this week? Game five, he was not injured. He had, what, 19%? Somewhere thereabouts. If you yeah. only count, if you if you stop the count before the starters went into the lineup, you had 19.4% target share. Stop the count. Like, get out. Like, I had told you prior to the season, he was going to have 15 to 18% target share. He's going to be a mid-range to low-end wide receiver three flex play. And that's exactly what he is. I'm not sorry. I'm just not sorry. Okay. And, okay, you know why it's good that you're not dead in the knee? It makes for better uh, podcast material. <laughs> well, that is one thing. But the other reason I was going to say is when when in football do teams bend the knee? Uh, when they've won. Right. And and you, you've done no such thing. So I think that if you were to bend the knee, that would send very much the wrong message because, you know, you would be like Joe Judge, like bending the knee on third and nine, like just admitting defeat. And, and I, you know, you may have had a bad day about Gabriel Davis, but I don't think you've quite reached Joe Judge levels. Look, <laughs> I mean, literally, we basically only disagreed about the efficiency of Gabriel Davis and of the Bills' offense because you were like, he's going to be 15 to 18% target like, Well, that's a little low. I think he's probably going to be like 17 to 20. Um, and, and and I was right because we're not counting the injured games um, because he was hobbled and because you were like, oh, this guy, maybe just 10% target share. And I was like, the last time on the podcast, I wouldn't want to be caught with my pants down labeling this guy bust based on games where he was hobbled. And sure enough, the two healthy games that he's played, he had 18 points, he had 30 points. That's a lot of points. And he did it with a 16% and 19% stop the count target share. <laughs> and I don't think that he's going to continue at like 24 fantasy points per game. But what I said was he's going to have 17 to 20% target share. And he's probably going to be a mid-wide receiver too because he gets high-value targets in an extremely high-value offense. And, um, yeah, I think that's what he's going to be. He's going he's gonna to be between 17 and 20% rest of the season, and he's going to be like the wide receiver 22. I think that uh, you're dead wrong, and he will have a 15 to 18% target share. I think you're absolutely correct on that. 17 to 20. 17 to 20. He's not going to average 28.5 targets per game. He's not going to score three out of or touchdown three out of four games. He's not going to average 28.5 targets per game. I agree. I don't think he'll average 28. You're only counting the two healthy games and just ignoring the times that he was injured. Like, do you realize how often NFL players play injured? Like, if we only counted every NFL player's healthy games, what? rate they would score out no, i will count no i will count all of zeke's games last year because that fits my narrative and i will exclude gabriel davis's games this year because that fits my narrative <laughs> if you only count the healthy games sure the dude has been on fire he's got three touchdowns in two games you're not you are surely not expecting him to score Three touchdowns in two games. That's one point five touchdowns per game times seventy. No, games. I think that what we've You're seen, we've a twenty-five point five touchdown season. Get out no, of here! I don't, yeah, but did I say that I expected to finish with twenty-four hey, fantasy points per said, game? Twenty-four fantasy points per game. What's happened in the past is bound to happen within the future. We we take the past exactly as it is. We stop the count where it makes sense to stop the count, and we just carry on. 
No, what I think is you're going to see, you're 100% going to see games at a game where a stat line is like five targets, two catches, 24 yards, zero touchdowns. And then people are going to be like, oh, see, game's bad. And the next week, he's going to have six targets, four catches, 98 yards, two touchdowns. People are going to be like, oh my God, game's good. And like, that's that's just going to happen all year. And, and I think that like, it's going to oscillate. He's in a high value role. He's a pretty mediocre player uh, in a great role. And in terms of what that's worth in Dynasty, I think it's worth like an early to mid two. And when people were panicking last week, I said, hey, if you can get him for a mid to late two, I'd be down to do that. And this week, when people are like, should we spend a one? I said, absolutely fucking not. You should not spend a one. Um, and that's why I'm a Gabe Davis radical centrist. I bend the knee to centrism on Gabriel Davis. There, there has never been a time since August when you've been able to get Gabriel Davis for anything less than a first. Well, you sure could in Patriot League. That's where I have all of my Gabriel Davis shares because he was going pretty late compared to keep trick cutting the old Patriot Leagues. Well, okay. Yeah, if you can... <laughs> I'll put it this way. Anytime that you can draft a player substantially lower than their ADP, you should just do so. That's a good That's a good strategy. I still have my 7.7 Nick Chubb thanks to the Bulletproof Patriot Discord links. The passes are pretty sharp as it is. So if you can get a player substantially less than where the masses think they should be drafted, you should just do it. Here's what so, I think everyone should yeah. do. What everyone should do is they should they should found a Patreon. And if they can't, they should become an analyst in someone else's Patreon. And then you should like create a cult of personality around you, like, you know, like a Mussolini-esque character. Uh, <laughs> And you should just rail really hard against a bunch of players to bow, bow to um, badger everyone into submission, such that they'll never draft those players. <laughs> and then in all of your other leagues, you also don't draft those players because they're not very good bets. But then you're like, I kind of want some exposure. And then you have like you open up like four patron leagues, and then you just draft those players like four rounds after their ADP. <laughs> um, and then people are like, Why do you have all these players? You said never to draft these players. And I was like, Well. Thanks for the nine ninety nine a month. Think about it. You're think about it. The patrons I think are that going to smash you, and I love every second of it. The greatrons. The greatrons. The greatrons have yeah. got this. All, All right. right. That's well, enough for this episode. Where can is there anything else you? you want to talk about? Uh, there's nothing else that Matt will let us talk about. We're we worth the 90-minute To get in our last final take. Real quick, real um, quick. Geno Smith, actually good. I, I would like to trade uh, a mid-second if that's at all possible, but I don't know if it is anymore. I was just going to say, I want to quickly talk about Geno because we haven't talked about him yet. I don't think on any of the shows. Geno Smith has been playing completely out of his mind. Uh, the dude is only a backup running back for the last, I don't know, 10 years because he got punched backup in the running field. back? That is incredible. That or a backup quarterback for... He's playing so quarterback. Like, not showing up. To Maybe H.K. Dillon should move to quarterback got punched out for it now we get to experience this glory finally he was uh written off but he didn't write back and <laughs> I love that, that was a great line and then he followed it up later with something like are you surprised that i'm awesome and i thought that was a little bit kind of ruining the storyline like gino it was a you bad were faith argument leader. yeah it should it was a surprise it was a bad faith argument on gino's part gino you were you were a lovable loser and then you just like ruined it like why would you do that we were all cheering for you and now we're like ah you're kind of a douche i don't really like you that much anymore so you're buying for mid-second 
Yeah, and I don't even know if that's possible. I would also look at like just quarterback swaps. Like I'm kind of curious, like um, where people value. So I, what I posted, I'm going to try and find it here. But I posted I'm pretty about sure him you get in so what I posted in the Discord, I said, Gino seems ellipses good. I said, maybe the window has already passed in several leagues, but if but I think uh, if it hasn't, and if Gino is legit, this is probably the end of window where you're going to be able to get him for less than the bulletproof window, which for those who don't know, I usually refer to the bulletproof window as being ending in the early seconds. And that's usually the latest that we can get a round two bulletproof type wide receiver with exception of special cases, like a Juan de or a Hamlet, where the market is like, no, you're not actually good. Um... The reality is, outside of legit quarterbacks, there is not that much job security. Baker, Wentz, Matt Ryan, good recent examples of seemingly entrenched options who went from high-value players to desperation rentals in a pretty short period of time. Geno Smith is literally playing out his mind right now, and as long as he plays okay the rest of the way, the sample is probably good enough that he could get a Case Keenum-esque trial run as a modal outcome. Maybe he keeps playing this well, and he gets a Tannehill deal. I definitely don't think it's overly likely he's a long-term starting quarterback, but if I could use the anchoring effect on a Wentz or a Jameis Winston, um, where people had more faith in them as a long-term option coming into the year and sell them for Geno Smith straight up, I would do that. Uh, because I think that you have less data on Geno at any time recently, and the only data that we do have is that he's really good. And so I think it's more plausible that he's really good than the other quarterbacks who have been bad over like a fairly prolonged sample are actually good or that they're going to stick in the league long enough where you care about losing the deal. Um, and honestly, like mid to late second, that's where we take quarterbacks like Malik Willis, Desmond Ritter, Jalen Hurts, Jordan Love. Like we're already talking about quarterbacks that are kind of long shots at the time. Now, Gino doesn't probably have that same value upside because he's not a rookie, but he's already shown that he's like a really good quarterback in the NFL for a month. So that counts for something to me. Um, and yeah, I would say that if you can get him for like mid-second value, I'm certainly trying. And I and I would always try like to do that like for players, right? But if, I mean, the thing with Geno is he was on waivers. Some some team might have him as like their fourth quarterback. Might have no need for him, but they they might only have like four starable wide receivers because one's hurt or something. And you could go to them and be like, hey, like I don't know, who's an example of like a wide receiver that doesn't matter that much that we could trade for Geno Smith right now? I'm trying to think off the top of my head. I kept wanting to say Tyler Lockett, but um, actually probably wouldn't want to move Tyler Lockett right now. <laughs> like, oh, wide receiver one. Maybe? Curtis Samuel. I'd love to trade Curtis Samuel for Debo, for uh, Geno Smith. It's a great one. Um, I don't think Robert Woods is worth enough, but like I would definitely move Robert Woods. Um, oh, for sure. Adam Thielen, if I can move Adam Thielen for Geno. Oh, yeah, Adam Thielen, that's a good one. Um, okay, what about... Um, is Brandon Cooks a bridge too far? I think it's oh, a bridge too far. I'd rather have Brandon Cooks, I think. Okay, I think I'd rather have Brandon Cooks, too. What about... Ooh. What about Wandale Robinson? Yeah, if I needed a quarterback on my like competing team, I'd probably be into that trade. That's an interesting like I, I would prefer not to trade Wandale Robinson, who's probably pretty good. But if that was the only way I could get myself a a starting quarterback, that would be a sufficient trade, I think. Like I think the thing with Geno right now, he's running super hot. Like if you look at his on player profiler, you probably never heard of the website. It's uh, playerprofiler.com. And uh they have this expected fantasy points metric. Geno Smith rates number 25 in expected <laughs> fantasy points, yet he is number seven in actual fantasy points. So he's playing right. like super, super well. 
But those two are like correlated a little bit at quarterback position because like if you're if you're producing a lot of fantasy points over expectation, it precludes you from generating more expected fantasy points. Like we talked about the opposite of this with Joe Mixon, where he's like getting stuff to the goal line so many times that it gives him more goal line carries. Like if Geno Smith has one 70 yard pass that he came at cap from his own 30 yard line, then he's getting a bunch of fantasy points over expected. And it also precludes him from racking up any fantasy points on the rest of that drive. Because like if they're saying that like that first pass was like, I don't know, seven fantasy points over expected. Whatever that expected was, was now all he gets on that drive. Whereas if, if DK Metcalf catches it, then it's run a little behind him and he gets tackled at the 50-yard line. Now he has 50 yards more on the drive to rack up expected fantasy points. Yeah, I think, like, for sure, there is a compounding factor there. Right. But he's anyway, also, I'm not saying he's not running hot. He's very much running hot. I'm just saying He's also, counts. like, number two in accuracy rating, number one in his true completion percentage, number five in deep ball completion... <laughs> All these things that I don't overly value a whole lot when we're doing analysis, he's like smashing in. And that just means that he's probably playing a little bit beyond what he should be playing, considering he's not, you know, Gerbreeze. <laughs> like, like right. Geno Smith. But what, what about stuff that you do value, though? Like, what about his PFF passing grade? Do, do you care about that? You usually care about that. Yeah, I don't think he was overly great in that, was he? He is PFS number one rated quarterback by a lot for the season. Yes, his PFF passing grade this season is eighty-seven point nine. Next closest is Patrick Mahomes at eighty-two point two. All right, well then I take that back. So yeah, it's like so. so okay, to cap he's between only, Gino, he's, he's only three spots ahead of any seven points. That's that's a, a wider gap than Mahomes to Tom Brady at seven. Also, it's hilarious. Like, if you look at it, fucking Geno, then Mahomes, then Hurts, then Andy Dalton, and Josh Allen. Yeah. So, like, Andy <laughs> really Dalton, rotates. perhaps a buy low we're not considering. <laughs> Bailey Zapp here at quarterback nine right now. Like, let's go. Okay. Uh, actually, here's an interesting trade idea. Jared Goff has had this, like, awesome, awesome start to the year, right? But mostly against bad defenses. And then he had a really bad game against the defense. What do you think you get added on top of Geno with Jared Goff? Because they might be kind of the exact same bet. Honestly, I might take Geno ahead of Goff straight up. Right. Well, I'll tell you what. You can do that. I, I'm sure you can get that done. I don't know. Let's see. Geno Smith is valued at 2441. Keep trade cut points. Jared Goff is valued at 3638. It's I pretty. feel like you might have to do that. Like I don't know. People are irrational with golf. Okay. I so saw what if you, so what if you go? What if you go golf plus three for Geno plus two? That seems great, right? Yeah, absolutely. I saw Jared Goff being traded for first round picks last week. Like, yeah, he had an outlier, amazing week with no weapons. I get it. It was it was awesome. Good for Jared Goff. Like winning on and off the field. Love that dude. And then it's like, no, he's not that good though. Like he he's. He's he's Andy Dalton at best. Like like he he's he is fine, but he's not gonna win you fantasy. He doesn't rush at all, and he's probably not an excellent NFL quarterback. Or we would have seen him be an excellent NFL quarterback in probably one of the best situations that you could ask a quarterback to be in in Los Angeles the last few years that he was there. And I just like Jared Goff isn't all that exciting. So if you can get Jared Goff, or if you have Jared Goff, you can get. 
Geno Smith and a little extra on top, like a two for three swap, that would be an amazing trade, in my opinion. I want to talk to you about two other stats that you've you've cared about at least a little bit in the past. I would like you to guess who currently leads the NFL in completion percentage above expected. Well, is it Geno? I feel okay. like he was really it is high. Gino. It is Geno, and not only is it Geno, but what do you think is the gap in percentage points between Geno Smith and second place in completion percentage above expected? I'm pretty sure it was a lot because I remember reading about Russell Wilson and Geno, like basically, Geno basically took Russell Wilson's spot, and Russell Wilson is now terrible. Uh, the gap is six point seven percentage points. It is massive. So the second highest is uh, Tua Tungavailoa at 3.8 and then after him it's like Mahomes 3.3 Josh Allen 2.7 like a bunch of guys kind of between like two to three and Gino's at 10.5 um which like first of all it's like to some extent that that's signal of him being good but to a larger extent that signal like this is obviously unsustainable um his EPA per play right now is fourth he's behind Allen Mahomes and Tua so well, EPA plus CPOE, but, he's third, which is yeah, pretty damn which good. Is behind Allen and Mahomes. So yeah. Um, so which like, like I will say this, like and Gino into my yeah. dynasty rankings from now on. There's like something to be said, like about you know the company that you're in proving the validity of the stat, and like it's Josh, like so the EPA plus CPOE composite, right? It's like we're talking about the smell test. One way that I would look at the smell test is like, do the guys that we think should be at the top are they at the top? Well, Allen's first. Mahomes is second, Hurts is fifth. Well, I guess whatever. He probably wasn't expected. But Allen first, Mahomes is second, Lamar is sixth, Herbert is seventh. So that's like all the guys we think are the best quarterbacks in the league. And then sandwiched between them are Gino, who which is hilarious. To a small sample, but um, you know, a guy that we wanted to see growth from, and Jalen Hurts, who similar guy we wanted to see growth from. So it's definitely something. Yeah, no, I like. Yeah, I like. I think I'm into buying Gino at his at his cost. He's he's currently valued around a late second. I I'd probably go a little higher than that if I mm-hmm. needed a quarterback. I'm probably not going to get him unless I need a quarterback, though. Like I don't feel like this is like a okay. This is a universal trade offer spam. Yeah, I'm not like I I don't want to miss out on the Geno Smith experience, but I'm also like, hey, if I need a cheap quarterback, this is probably the guy I'm going to get. There's nobody okay, else about- I'm really all that interested in. How about this? Um, here's my stance. Late second or late second value, I would do universally in every single league that I can do it. I don't know how often you can do it. Um, what I will try in like literally every league is if I have like a short-term running back option. So let's say James Conner is out this week. I have Eno Benjamin on like 30% of my dynasty rosters. I will look at the Geno manager and on the off chance that they haven't seen a running back that week, I'll offer, you know, Benjamin and a third to Geno Smith in every league that I have, you know, Benjamin, if James Conner's out. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, And then, so like that kind of like buy low where it's like riskless. And then if I need a quarterback, then then I'll do the other stuff we're talking about for sure. Um, Also really quick. Now that I'm just having fun on the site, if you want to know how good Debo Samuel's catch and run was, all you need to look at is the fact that Jimmy Garoppolo is fourth in the NFL in EPA per play, right? So that means on plays that involve him throwing a pass um, or dropping back, actually, um, he he creates more expected points than all but three other quarterbacks. Um, he, but in he, he percentage, yes, 
uh, but in completion percentage over expected, he is third worst. He is only ahead of Justin Fields and Baker Mayfield. So basically, he is completing very few of the passes he's supposed to complete. But when he does complete them, occasionally Debo Samuel takes them for 50 yards at a touchdown more than he should. It's beautiful. Like, really, really, another quick tangent on Debo Samuel. I've uh, I've been dunked on a couple times for Debo Samuel thus far, which is kind of funny because I had said he was going to be a wide receiver too, and probably not the you know contention for wide receiver one overall. And he's currently sitting at wide receiver twenty, and people are dunking on me like he's awesome. And I'm like, no, this is like this is what I said. I should be dunking on you. I told you he was a wide receiver two, being drafted as a high end wide receiver one. Get out of here. Ridiculous. I mean, he's going to end up as I think he's going to end up as a low end wide receiver one. His usage has been really good. It's weird. He kind of like had the one spike um, play against the Rams, but otherwise, um, he's like honestly like almost underperformed his usage, which is weird for Debo Samuel. I think this last week he had like two catches on eight targets or something crazy, which is two on not nine. Debo Samuel week one two it was on two nine. on eight, but that was in the that was in the like, the monsoon monsoon yeah. Right. So you can't really fault him for that. And then, like, he's been pretty good. He's just not been, like, he's not been what his ADP suggested he was going to be. That's all I'm saying. And he's right around where I thought his ADP should have been. So W for Bean Counter and L for the masses, even though they're dunking on me because he makes amazing plays. I get that he makes amazing plays. He just doesn't have as many opportunities to make amazing plays as he should have at his ADP. Anyway, Yeah, you know what's a bummer is, like, I think it has to get better in San Fran because Jimmy, like, I mean, I think Jimmy like totally sucks for sure, but eventually they're going to be in some games where the other team scores points. Maybe not. Maybe San Francisco's defense is like the 85 bears, but I think like eventually they're going to be in a game where the other team scores points. And that has not happened yet in the Jimmy G era because like Debo is not really scoring that many fancy points. Kittle is not like appearing in games. And then Brandon Ayuk is also doing nothing. So I will say that I did not expect that once Jimmy, I thought this was like the, the tail end bad outcome for a Lance led offense. Once it went to Jimmy, I was like, that really sucks for Trey Lance, but like, I feel like this secures the floor of the weapons. It has not happened yet. I, I don't really know who's going to happen for, but I will just say I'm like pretty open-minded to buying some of the 49ers because I would be pretty stunned if like for the entire year, they just support like Debo is a blow end wide receiver too. And then Ayuk is a nothing and Kittle is a nothing. Like, I think it's going to get better. It's still a consolidated passing offense and they're not going to be able to sit on 20 point leads every single week. Although this week they will, they play Atlanta. They will beat them by a lot. Did you, did you, this is, this is hilarious. Did you know that Jimmy Garoppolo back in 2018 was like quarterback six in dynasty after playing like seven <laughs> games in San Francisco? You know that? I shouldn't play Dynasty though. That's hilarious. Oh, it was it was a thing of beauty. Jimmy Garoppolo had like uh what was it? He had well, he won every game he played. The they won game. every game. It was a it was a total QB win situation. And he had I think it was seven touchdowns and five interceptions in those games. Yeah. And but they won. And people were like, dude, Jimmy's amazing. He's so good. <laughs> And I was like fighting people constantly on on uh, social media at the time about how he might need to look at more than these five games. He went five and zero oh in uh, in his games that year. He had a sixty seven point five percent completion percentage, fifteen sixty yards, 
uh, seven touchdowns, five interceptions. Like seven touchdowns is a 3.9% touchdown rate. That isn't even freaking good. That's like Carolina Panthers bad. And people were over there, like to the moon with Jimmy Garoppolo at that point. It was completely ridiculous. I, I've never had so much fun in my life. And yeah, anyway, so he got hurt. I think it was the next year. And uh, yeah, he was back uh, Nick Mullins. Nick Mullins played. And, and then CJ Bethard. This rookie season. And people were like, oh, Jimmy's coming back. Like, Dante Pettis is going to be so good as a sophomore. And it's like, actually, this may come as a shock to you, but Nick Mullins was better than Nick, Jimmy Garoppolo has ever been in his entire life. <laughs> so pe- penciling this in as a quarterback upgrade is probably the wrong move. And it was absolutely true and hilarious. And I, I just like to bring up the Jimmy Garoppolo like erroneous ADP every chance I can get because it was like so bad. It was it was the worst ADP I've ever seen of any player in all of Dynasty. Like that's how bad it, it was. Tell really that happened. Worst. That that's what pretty stunning to me. <laughs> so I've never experienced anything like that. I didn't bot play at the Dynasty at the time. I will though, however, say like as much as I'm laughing at this, the guy who I drafted way too high that year um that like blew up in my face i just like didn't really know nearly enough about prospecting in like a good way was i was like so on marquis goodwin that year um because he had like that really hot run with with jimmy at the end of the year and then i was like all right that's jimmy's guy it's marquis goodwin like he's really fast he's a sprinter they finally got him to the right role he's gonna get fed all these targets he's like the shanahan guy now uh, he was not the guy, let me tell you. But uh, <laughs> but I was I remember drafting Marquise Goodwin. Like I don't know when it was, probably round six or seven, not like round two. But like I basically just I just decided to I like penalized myself a draft pick that, that year. I, basically, that uh, was what I did by spending one on Marquise Goodwin. But um, there's been so many 49ers like uh, ridiculousness where we had. I mean, the Jared McKinnon year, like, to be clear, that's, like, an incomplete. Like, he never even got to play towards ACL. But, like, that was a guy that had, like, a ton of value that then just, like, evaporated into nothing. Brandon Ayuk, doghouse, last year. Uh, we had the Trey Sermon evaluate into nothing. We had the uh, Joe Williams. Joe Williams, the table pound. Found the table. The table pound. Found, found the table, table. Joe Williams. Joe Williams. Yeah, 49ers, Dante Pettis. Dante Pettis. Dante Dante Pettis Pettis. from Film Grinders, wide receiver one in the 2018 draft. It was ridiculous. There was DJ Moore and Cortland Sutton and Calvin Ridley and Christian Kirk. And some film grinders in particular had Dante Pettis posted up a wide receiver. Like you couldn't get that wide receiver one wrong for like years like all those guys were like very relevant for like two or three years after the draft and then some people actually had dante pettis who was like out of the league by his second year <laughs> unbelievable what a th- what a all time right. to be alive like i'm so I sad can't... that you missed one of the dante pettis era and the nick mullins era you know what era? i'm really sad quarterback five or six or four or something ridiculous in dynasty leagues you know what era I'm really sad that I missed out on? I actually didn't like miss out on this era as a player, but I missed out on it as a like Twitter person. Like I wasn't on Dynasty Twitter at the time. And then I like 
heard about these takes that existed shortly after and I like lost my mind was the 2019 draft seems like it was the best possible time to be on dynasty Twitter because of all the Kim Butler wide receiver one takes. And then he goes like round four and the Kelvin Harmon takes and the Riley Ridley takes and the DeMarcus Lodge takes. Um, and like, then obviously at the other end of the spectrum, like then you have like Nikhil Harry where it's like, it looks like the analytics boys get their win because it's like lol Hakeem Butler, um, Nikhil Harry went round one. Where is your king now? And it turns out like that he's not, he's also not a king. He's actually terrible. Uh, and then like, <laughs> it's only like wide receivers named Brown and then, and DK and Debo, like just everyone lost in the 2019 draft. I feel like, like, I don't think there oh, was a sure. winner in the 2019 draft. I mean, I was a winner cause I had AJ Brown's so my wide receiver one, but, um, yeah. but nobody else is a winner. So I had AJ Brown as my wide receiver too. So like, give me a break. But uh, yeah. yeah, the 2019 draft was actually pretty wild because it was like, like you said, like all these like film guy love fest just flamed out. All yeah, the guys that three, nobody really all liked. Went day three. Hakeem, Hakeem, Harmon, Lodge, and Ridley. It's like the, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. But, but here's the weird thing is it was also a glorious time to be a film analyst because a lot of the players that we didn't like as data analysts Ended up awesome. Like we got Debo Samuel, who basically did nothing in college, being yeah. awesome. We got DK Metcalf. We got Deontay Johnson. Like we got all these like. Well, I think DK Metcalf. I think great. DK Metcalf and Deontay Johnson have totally fine profiles. No, they didn't have totally fine. Get out of here. No, absolutely not. Worked out really well. Great, great for them. But they didn't have totally fine profiles. DK Metcalf was like pretty awful. Pretty mm. awful. That's the kind of story for another podcast. Although I'll give them Terry McLaurin. Although I won't anymore. We 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 awarded a win too early on Terry McLaurin. We never should have accepted the Alan Terry McLaurin. He's not actually that good. He's a fake alpha. He's <laughs> a fake alpha. Yeah, it's so yeah, I just looked it up. Jimmy GQ was quarterback five in um like June that's, of twenty eighteen. Like quarterback five. Like in the world. Like I didn't play Dynasty at the time, and I'll be honest that like my whatever my approach would have been to Dynasty at the time, it would have been bad for sure. It would have been bad because like when I started playing Dynasty, I played like a total moron. All that being said, not a fucking chance in hell that even the dumbest version of me would have had Jimmy Garoppolo at Dynasty quarterback five. There's just no world in which I would have done that. I feel I honestly feel like this was a lot easier like three or four years ago because people were really bad at Dynasty. <laughs> like I, I feel like the community has sharpened up quite a lot in the last few years. Oh, for and sure. Sharp up. Like, Gabriel Davis is like the most erroneous player, and he's he's not even that bad. Like he's pretty bad, but he's not Jimmy GQ at five overall at quarterback bad. The edge isn't gone, but like I think the edge really has to change. Like I, I think that like the edge that you can get by simply picking good rookies and fading bad rookies has decreased significantly. Um, for sure. For like a couple reasons. Number one, um, every single good player goes to Ohio State and Alabama, which just makes them really hard to scout through data. Um, number two is like, I mean, like Henry Ruggs like went in the first round of every draft in 2020, but then like Kadarius Tony was like going in like the late two. So it's like, what do you actually get out of thinking that Kadarius Tony is it is like bad? in terms of a round one rookie because not much because the entire market has like said that he's by far the worst of these round one rookies. So like you also thinking it doesn't like accomplish anything, right? It was kind of like similar to this year where it's like David Bell goes round three and his like ADP is higher than Alec Pierce who goes round two. So it's like, 
whatever edge we would have had, like potentially, I mean, for what it's worth, Dr. is way better than David Bell, but like assume that like that's a, a theoretical edge that we would have had that like being like, oh, like this guy's actually pretty undervalued. This guy's overvalued. It's like, th- that's like so baked in that like, I don't think that you can't generate value in rookie drafts. I think you definitely can, but the extent to which that you can, I definitely think has, has reduced. Or like the, the extent to which you can just based off of avoiding bus profiles is reduced because the a lot of like Christian Watson, if this was if this was two years ago, Christian Watson and Sky Moore would have had the identical ADP, right? Christian Watson would have actually gone ahead of him for sure because he would have he's like big and fast. Like Christian Watson would have been like the one oh four. Yeah, oh yeah. Christian Watson would have been way higher than he was now because big and fast and also tethered to Aaron. Aaron Rodgers. Right. Tether to Aaron Rodgers, no target competition, big and fast. He would have been 104. And instead, he was like regularly falling to round two because everyone was like, oh, his uh, receiving yards market share is uh, pretty unimpressive. Yeah. No, it's uh, it's wild. I I think where the biggest advantage comes now with uh, like rookie drafts is is we're we're still pretty good at identifying the absolute duds. Like those guys are generally still pretty yeah, like bad. James Cook still went in like the first round, and that was obviously yeah. ridiculous. James Cook going in the first round was a huge mistake and was obvious to data analysts. But I think where the, where the biggest advantage comes from, like the bulletproof process, it isn't so much from like who's good and who's bad. It like that's part of it for sure. But it's where can you move around the draft board to just soak yeah. up the value of who's good and who's bad for sure. Like that's what I've been saying for the last two or three years now. It's like, yeah, okay, we we like Jonathan Taylor a lot. Like, there was no question. Jonathan Taylor was a great rookie. And if he was going at 105, we'd have been smash-picking him. But he was going at 102. But it wasn't so much he was going at 102. It was that he was going at, like, pick 16 in Dynasty before playing a snap. Like, that was the crazy part. And I was like, oh, well, yeah. you could actually get DeAndre Swift and Cat Makers for, like, three rounds later. And you could put a T. Higgins or Justin Jefferson on top. And when you do that, it's a pretty great move to trade back. I think that's where a lot of our our edge comes from now is like identifying where you're really getting the high quality players and shifting your value from like the super high valued to the non-super high valued. And and, and then also like Clyde Edwards-Hilaire going like 101 was insane and never should have happened. But that's another like pivot where you get your value. Like you're like, well hold on a second, this player isn't actually good, and you only like him because he plays the Patrick Mahomes, and Andy Reid has a history of having good running backs. That doesn't mean that Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is a good running back. That means his running backs in the past were actually good. So now we're just going to pivot back, pick up DeAndre Swift, pick up T. Higgins, and call it a day, and and the, let the cards fall where they may. I think that's where a lot of the, the, uh, the edge comes from now, is like maneuvering around draft boards. and Like we've been doing it for two or three years now but uh i feel like that's something that the masses haven't really caught on to yet is where they're yeah. like they're really in a binary state of this player is good or bad and that that's gotten way better like like you said christian watson would have been way higher if this was 2019 like he he'd have been right there with dk metcalf as like wide receiver we would, we would have been like we would have been saying like it, it literally it would have the conversation would have been had is like it would have been like, here's why Drake London is a better pick than Christian Watson. And people on Twitter were like, why? Uh, they're both pretty big. Yeah. Christian Watson ran faster. Uh, he's got Aaron Rodgers. He's Marcus Mariota. Like, that would have been like the level of analysis it oh, would have been sure. doing, right? Like, so, like, we would have been able to, like, right? 100, we would have easily been able to, like, 
get Chris Olave like the one ten by virtue of not drafting Christian Watson, right? Like that's anyway. Yeah. But um, un- unfortunate that that's no longer the case. I agree. There's still a lot of edges. We're now at two hours. Sorry, Matt. Um, <laughs> let's let's get out of here, please. I'm so sorry, Matt. But anyway, this is bulletproof sweat and bullets. A bulletproof fantasy football podcast, something like that. I can't remember. It's really late, and I've had a lot of wine. So we're out of here. See you next week.